what you've been doing the whole time you've been away. That and honestly, like listening to Stone Tumble Pilots. Only uh, whatever recordings don't have Scott Weiland, right? Like only the off-brand Stone Temple Pilots album and talk show, the the, the album they did as a different entity. I'm, I don't want to disappoint you, but no. <laughs> only the classics. <laughs> only Scott. I found this great resource for music. Um, it's like on FM radio. Yes. You ever you heard of that? It's insane. They just fucking yeah. throw it out there. It's yeah. like a podcast that's always on. Um, yeah, it's the original podcast. A hundred, hundred and two and and three tenths. Uh, is, is that's uh, W Bab, W B A B, Wabab. Yeah, so yeah. I listen to Wabab a lot, and yeah. I'm like, I, me, I am W B A B. I'm like, give me all of this, man. Do you have you guys have a Patreon, and they don't. Well, so. they they have a bigger Patreon than we can afford. They have a Patreon for like big corporations and companies that you know their patreon works really? a lot differently yeah oh where i've been man. i thought yeah. it was just like like jake's jake's 58 is a big patreon contributor to wbab <laughs> uh, from what i gather yeah hell yeah, yeah. dude yeah depends so, on yeah. the tier you want to contribute like there's the models tier which yeah. is the lowest yeah. tier yeah because it doesn't exist anymore okay it was the 90s at one point. models i think they yeah. there's a tier models of there's a tier yeah. where Fingers Metal Shop will, will actually read it in his voice, in the real Fingers voice. So, do you think it's because they have numbers attached to it? Because, like, I've never heard of this. So, yeah. if they're 102 and three tenths, Wabab, like, maybe if we put some numbers in front of the heavy hole, you know, is that an NFT? Four elevens, you know, could I don't know. Maybe then we can get Jake 58, another number. I I am Jake 58. <laughs> that's <laughs> I'm Jake. That's my disguise. I don't know if you guys noticed. I'm in disguise today. <laughs> You you look different. I'm I, in disguise, man. You guys didn't notice. I was going right? to ask if you shaved or got a haircut. I, I shaved off like the goatee. Now I just have kind of like the haven't shaved in a few days, but keeping it down beard. Yeah, you know what I mean. I like that. Yeah. I have a khaki hat that it deceptively looks kind of like a home, regular hometown baseball team. But if you're from the area, it says mm-hmm. Huntington Station. No one wears a dad cap with a baseball. It's like yeah. It would, no, repping the Huntington yeah, Station yeah, country. I love club. it. I love. I bought it. I bought this at the old King Cullen there a few years ago. Yeah, all the dads who live in Huntington Station e- either don't wear hats or have Huntington ones, <laughs> trying to blend in. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just Deceptive. trying to. I'm in disguise. This is my disguise. I'm Jake 58. I have, not, I have jeans on. They're just regular. <laughs> Look, I have black on black sneakers. I have the Adam Rotella's on, kid. And I get most importantly, the, but the really like, it's kind of like if you go. Like, um, uh, it, like Arnold Schwarzenegger in the '80s. Like, all he had to do was kind of like put on a like a like a robe around him as a shroud, like to be in disguise, and nobody uh-huh. magically knew it was him. Mm-hmm. You know, like in those action movies and stuff, or Van Damme. Like, they just thought somebody was moving a refrigerator. Yeah, <laughs> like the the Long Island version of that is like just get your like basic khaki baseball cap and this thing. This this I. It's not a sweatshirt. Yeah, it's like a, it's a it's like for like it's like it says. I have bills to pay, but I also can drink while I'm mm-hmm. while I'm earning the money to, to you know what I'm saying. I like, need to be able to wear this indoors, outdoors, yeah. and and the post office. It's a sweat. It's a sweatshirt with mm-hmm. a small chest zip up collar and a little fleece. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this. So mm-hmm. this is my. I am Jake Fifty Eight, just like I am B A B. So that's that's been my weekend. I go around Good. places and I pretend I don't listen to metal. I, I actually I've been listening to. I've been blasting Blue Oyster Cult. Out of my Jeep and driving around looking like this. That's true. It's awesome. Yeah. So it's to conclude rad. my how is your weekend content, I'm, Tom had, had, had passed me a 
Dr. Brown's celery <laughs> celery soda. I've never tried this. So we're going to see. That is delectable. Oh Thank you, Tom. I'm see, so I'm sad. very open-minded. I got nervous. Yeah, I thought he wasn't going to like it. Vegetables. I'm open-minded. Tom, what this, this is like vegan, actually. Tom, what's up with you, buddy? How, how was, how was, I'm, I'm glad we got Justin back. We came in kind of wild. Yeah. People don't even know it's me right now. It is me. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. I did something this weekend. I was on a show, a podcast. Shout out to Not For Human Consumption Podcasts. Okay. You can see this. Okay. Um, they record live. So there's no yeah. edits. And then they just put it up yeah. on YouTube and all the others. And um, I skimmed through it. And the last hour of it, there's three hours in this show. That's a long episode. Wow. Yeah, and I was really bad. I was drunk. I was a nightmare for the last hour. That's a standard roast mortem, Tom. Yeah, well, I haven't done, really done that. That's un, that's unfair. Mm-hmm. That's unfair. I apologize. Uh, What's the numbers getting to you, man? These, all these numbers. So many podcasts. <laughs> I have reversed analytics. How many podcasts can I be on? Wow. Uh, as it turns out, uh, I knew it would be a fun time, and it was a fun time. Go check that out, uh, Walter. Right, Walter. Yes, Walter's Wall of Woe. Yes, mm. uh, that, that death metal radio station. I'm forgetting. Longtime it, supporter of our. Uh, our uh, program over here. Big shout to Walter. Yeah, and I met a uh, a gentleman in the break, Wade from Atoll, slam band on Unique Leader. Oh, um, okay. Walt knows a lot of people, yes. so he brings people into the show. And uh, yeah, maybe we'll talk to him at some point, but he was a cool dude. He was on the show the previous week. So people can look for you on an upcoming episode of Not Fit for, or it's Not Fit for Human Consumption. Not for Human Consumption. Not it's not out. For human it's out. These guys are professionals. Right. Right. We recorded on Friday night. And then there's like one edit they do. They take the piss break out. Now it's live. Well, now mm. I got to flex because just last night, let me hear. I was on. I was on the phone. This celery soda is crisp and refreshing. I enjoy Isn't this. It? I might have to get into this. Do you want? I always like love that? one just on the side. Just sure. last night, <laughs> I was speaking to a man who was crisp and refreshing himself with his perspective. He was open-minded and opening minds, just as I was, to partake in this celery flavor soda. I don't know that he was vegan, but we did talk a little bit about lifestyle and health choices towards the end of the interview. It's okay. Tom Shad of Dark Ages, also formerly involved with the Blue Man Group, uh, long-running music teacher, um, interesting individual, was kind enough to give us his time this week on the Heavy Hole Podcast. Let's get this going. Let's get it bubbling. This is nice. I enjoy it. A little straw, maybe. And, um, you know, for, I, I, I could credit you as a lot of things. I was going to credit you as Tom Shad, bassist, uh, music teacher, uh, formerly of the Blue Man Group, and currently of many projects, including Dark Ages. Is that is that accurate? Yep. Oh. That is absolutely accurate. Dark Ages, I guess, would be my project. 
although I've been lucky enough to have Nick Dukowski on both records so far, so... Yeah, and and that's that's a very brief introduction um, because there's a lot uh, to to talk about in your background and even that you've been working on currently. So I'll just start off like that. Welcome to the show, Tom. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for asking me. Yeah, of course, man. We've uh, corresponded for a while, and um, full disclosure, mm-hmm. I, I I do appear on the um, most recent Dark Ages uh, uh, release on on a single. We, we'll get into that later, um, but. Mm-hmm. Long before that, Tom, uh, let's get into the, the the obvious question that I always ask everybody, um, and I do have to credit uh, it's I believe Elvad YouTube channel where you did an interview um, uh, a I while did. back. Yeah, and I researched that. You know, that was a very interesting interview, um, and we could talk about that later if you'd like. But I do have to Thank credit you. that yeah. no, knowing that you actually come from, I guess you might say, a more clinical family. I know you said there's, a, <laughs> I believe, a, a psychiatrist and a radiologist in your immediate family. Um, I would That's ask. That's true. Yeah, wow, I, did your research? <laughs> you know, you, you yes. listen. You listen to the show. You know, I go back. So I, well, I you thought do. I did think that was interesting, given um, uh, you obviously aren't from like a clinical or a me- or a medical field, but you do have a very uh, uh strong foundation in education that f- that kind of like parallels your musical career. Um, so so yeah. wa- winding back to the original question, are there musicians in your family? So, uh, the one that I knew, well, actually, I knew two of them. Um, the two that I knew were, was my mother's mother. She grew up around Prague, Czechoslovakia, and she played Beethoven. Hmm. Uh, she was a, a very talented pianist, uh, but we didn't really talk about music that much. You know, she just played uh, when I was a little boy, but my mom was a folk singer who could also play piano. But she didn't really gig. I mean, she played like at parties and stuff like that. But um, but really, it's it's largely, I guess it's really my, both my mom and my dad. They played me a lot of music when I was a little boy. So I grew up around literally everything from, you know, Leonard Bernstein curating stuff to the Beatles to Sly and the Family Stone, Otis Redding to like the Greek gangster music, to Odetta, you know, like all this different stuff. So like, I think that it was really good for me because I just got to love everything. Did you say Greek gangster music? Yeah, man. It's called Rebetica. Interesting. So that's yeah. like, that's like a cultural music from Greece. That's like with, from more from like the street culture. Mm-hmm. I think so. I don't know that much about it, but the the irony is, um, and I just probably send you a link, or maybe you can find one to post up with the podcast. It's it's really badass music. It's a lot of the music that you hear in the restaurants, or mm. you used to hear in the restaurants. You know, when you go to for me Bleecker Street or Astoria or whatever. Um, and this musician who died a couple of years ago in New York, uh, he went by the name of Homeboy Steve. He played the world famous Blue Jays, and I got to do like a Rod Stewart tribute with him. I think um, hmm. he had a Rebetica band. Yeah, that's yeah. It's it's you'd recognize immediately, like Zorro the Greek, that kind of stuff. Okay, interesting. it's very funky stuff, right? You know? Yeah. Well, the funny thing is, I mean, like getting right into it, like a lot of the, I'm not gonna, you know, I don't know many of the people. I know some of the people have been in your podcast. Like, there's anybody who grew up in some of that culture, like, it's a lot of odd time stuff. So all this prog metal stuff, like, it's it fits right in, you know, a lot of the timing. And, that, and also any of the Eastern European music, too, you know? 
Yeah, that's interesting. And that's, um, I think I read a quote of yours on your website where you where you kind of, mm-hmm. I guess you were kind of dismissive of the idea of genres. It's all music. To me, it, it is. I mean, I think that that's what's kind of confusing to people. And it used to be a real pain in the ass, like back in the day, like, you know, you, you, we were talking before we started recording about the Long Island scene. And I can tell you that, like, growing up in Bergen County, New Jersey, like, that was, well, there were different scenes. There was a big cover band scene, but, like, the cool bands were the Outlaws, Zeppelin, Rush, you know. And if you didn't like that, you were not cool, you know. And so the idea of somebody liking funk and Rush as an example, was from certain crews was just not even like, <laughs> it was like, you know, you have to choose, right? And so I was lucky enough um, to be, to grow up in an age where there's a lot of bass players all around. But like, I mean, as, as a great example, um, I have respect for him as a person. I, I can't say that I'm the hugest fan of Primus, but like Primus, I think was a great example. Like here are some guys who can play their asses off you know, and they like funk and metal and prog and, you know, it's all, it's all music, you know? Um, so, I mean, that, that's actually the first time I saw you perform. I, one of my favorite bands, uh, for the last, I don't know, at least 10 years. And I know I'm late to the party is Gorguts and, mm. and Gorguts. It's just so beautiful, the music. And it's, it's on so many different levels. And I'm not here as, as a teacher. It's just like, I think what blows me away is just the, rhythmic but also the harmonic orientation of this band it's like you can't put them into a classification you know so then it is all music you know what i mean whether or not and and look i'm I'm old enough that it i remember there's this whole movement back in the i guess it was 80s right where there's all these neoclassical dudes like Ingve momstein and uh tony uh McAlpine and all these guys, and they were all cite like was it uh, Paganini as an influence, right? And it's just like it's all fucking music, man. You know, mm-hmm. like why do we have to say? I mean, you want people who can play legit, whatever it is, right? Like you don't want uh, some dude who can't hang playing heavy stuff, you know, playing in a way that that isn't musical. But aside from that, like why can't we take from everything? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah, and Gorguts is a great. Um, uh, it's 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 kind of a, a great like meeting point, I think, between uh, music. Well, well, let me say this because you talk about Rush and funk, right? Back in the day, mm-hmm. uh, would I? Mm-hmm. So you've you've always had kind of a strain of hard rock, heavy metal, punk interest in you mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. while you were pursuing like your your more like formal education in music, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. See. You know, like these days, there are things like, and, uh, and there are programs besides this, but it's uh, at least East Coast and probably more than East Coast. The School of Rock, at least there was nothing like that when I was a kid, right? So if you wanted to play rock music, you had to kind of do it in your basement and basically you had to find people who you could play with and who were good enough to play, you know, you had to be good enough and they had to be good enough, you know what I mean? So so that music was sort of separate from the school learning. And so, like, I studied a little bit of piano and I, then I studied woodwinds in, um, 
in uh, in grade school, like in fifth grade, and I went to public school, and then and then eventually there wasn't enough sax and all that stuff, and in, in the Beatles and all this other stuff. So I thought, well, bass is easy; I could play that, hmm. you know. And so this is many years later, and and that, but but the thing is, but see, but what is kind of cool is that I had some training, right? So then learning some of the stuff was easier for me. You know, although there are people, I mean, it still amazes me that there are people who will just sit in their bedroom or whatever, and you see it on YouTube all the time, who can play all this amazing stuff and not necessarily be able to play with anybody else, or they, or they can, and they're completely by ear. You know what I mean? Or, or they just study themselves. You know, so it doesn't necessarily have to be academic. But I think that I was lucky in that that I had some exposure to a lot. Of, like I went to. Um, a creative camp and the jazz band director there uh, who's now dean of manhattan school of music um hooked me up with uh, a guy my first bass teacher and really my only real long-term bass teacher was rick laird from mahavishnu orchestra so that was like i didn't even understand who they were um but i think that it was like i just wanted it to get better and better and better and better but i loved i always loved the hard rock of course i mean i was i was thinking because you know, I was listening to, I forgot whose interview, I think the, the last one that was published, uh, Brent, somebody, but I was just thinking, like, could I really call Aerosmith metal? And I'm thinking no, because then I think it was like hard rock, right? But but for me, like, my awakening to some degree was, was rocks by Aerosmith, huh. you know? I don't know if you know that. Yeah. yeah that was, I, that was like, the, blew me away, yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up, you know, my, my parents listened to a lot of, like, very older, you know, uh, Aerosmith, Led Zeppelin, mm-hmm. early Van Halen, that sort of thing. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm mm-hmm. familiar with that sort of thing. And I got to stop. You said that you, at some point, were uh, under the tutelage of uh, Rick Laird of um, uh, Mahavishnu Orchestra? Yep. Uh, could you tell us a little yep. bit about um, about that and maybe just any recollections on, on um, uh, studying under him and, and what that was like meeting him? Absolutely. Um, so well, the funny thing is, is that this guy knows JD, that was the jazz band director, uh, Justin, he gave me this list of bass players, and I didn't know who was who and Rick was his name was just first. You know what I mean? I, I didn't know. I was in the Stanley Clark, you know what I mean? But I didn't know who Mahavishnu were. And they were pretty, you know, it wasn't like music that I just felt immediately. It's like kind of intellectual music, right? And so Rick is a really, really interesting story. He um, he was professional, I think, at like 16. He was the house bass player, Ronnie Scott. So he's like a real a player's player. And um, I think that like he he liked me because I practiced, but I definitely, you know, reflecting back, like I could have been practicing harder. And I, I wish that I sort of like, you know, tried to get more knowledge from him. Um, the cool thing was at that time, and I don't, I don't uh, know if there's any evidence of this on the internet, but he was the original bass player on Jeff Beck's There and Back. He tracked that album, and if you look at the record, it's Mo Foster. And I have, I still have charts that Rick gave me that he made for the album, <laughs> and so that's, I mean, it's just crazy. But um, yeah, no, Rick. Uh, he was this. I, I, this is not. Uh, you know, I'm not uh, saying anything that was in confidence. He was sort of disillusioned with the music business to some extent. You know, he was still gigging, but um, he eventually left playing music to 
be a, a Vogue photographer, if you can believe it. I know it's hard to believe that, but uh, yeah, he was really into photography. My mom happened to be a photographer, so they definitely had a lot to talk about. But um, yeah, I'm just trying to think of like there are any other. Yeah, like one of the things this was very popular then, and I think people still, some people still do it. I'm sure some of the guys who play bass are still they're still doing this. Um, he had me playing like the Bach inventions, like the left hand, just reading that, and he would play the right hand. So, like, so to him, I mean, his primary thing was jazz, right? But it was just teaching me um, lines. You know what I mean? Like just like orientation and different ways to play as opposed to, you know, um, learn to do this. Like, oh yeah, that's that's right. The first assignment, which I didn't really learn, I didn't know how to do it at that point, was to transcribe this one James Taylor tune. And then he gave me a John Abercrombie tune, huh. uh, which, which is a very hip one. But it's like, you know, I, I was, even though I studied, like this was much more advanced than I think that, uh, you know, I just I didn't know how to say I don't understand. So, but I definitely, I you know, I dug him, and I remember asking him. And I think this will be of some interest. As an interview, I said to him, I think I was in college. I said, "Do I have what it takes to make it?" And he said to me, "He goes, I don't know." You know, <laughs> so <laughs> it's I, I think that that's the thing. I mean, that that's the beauty of um, of being in New York, right? It's just that the bar is so high, and um, that there's always, it's always, whenever I think I've seen it all, there's somebody else who comes out and it's just like, oh my God, oh, you can do that, you know? But if there's something musical, I, I always want to know what it is, you know? Mm -hmm. Not to play fast, but just to, you know, to learn what, what was cool, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, cut it, stay on the cutting edge, so to speak. Um, makes total yeah, sense. I mean, we're just, we're, we're just like, because you mentioned like about the punk rock stuff, I, I, you know, the, the funny thing is I remember, because I was buying Cream Magazine, right, and Hit Parader before punk rock, and I remember the, the headline, I think it was the L.A. punk groups, the weirdos and, huh. all, you know, the germs and all this stuff. And, and I was like, oh, no, rock is going to be destroyed. And, like, for me, in a way, the punk thing was, like, was really great because you didn't have to be a virtuoso immediately, you know what I mean? And, and a lot of it is, it's just energy, you know, and that's what I love. I mean, that, that's the thing I love about a lot of projects, but certainly with the dark ages stuff, like the first record was like improvised pretty much. And the second one, I mean, like, we're just going, you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and to be lucky enough to have the guys who are playing on the record, you know, and Alex Cohen, um, I heard in one podcast recently you had you were talking about malignancy. Malignancy was one of those bands. I don't know how I stumbled on those guys. Like I just get excited about bands. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when somebody's doing something, you know, it's like I just I want to know what's going on. And and really and whatever. This is just my way of saying it. Is that all these Aerosmith rocks is a great example, but Meshuggah, Gorguts. Uh, you know, like to me, like it's all almost the same thing. Them as Parliament Funkadelic, like these bands have a funk to them. You know what I mean? Like where where it's rhythmically really cool, and that's that's some of what what makes their sound. You know, it's not just the notes, but it's it's the grooves. A hundred percent, and it's just when you when you mentioned um, uh, that there was any you know any connection to Mahavishnu Orchestra after having spoke about. Um, uh, I guess we could say maybe later era uh, Gorguts uh, in particular, mm -hmm. I always felt, um, you know, me being more of a, a metal background, that there was mm -hmm. 
a big connection there with some of the later Gorguts era material to some of that like 70s uh, prog rock type stuff, so to speak. Oh, I totally can hear that. You know, it's funny. I never even thought about that. And I think I think it's okay to, to uh, say the story. So I don't know which album was my intro to Gorguts, but I definitely was really into them by Pleiades Dust. And, yeah. um, and you know, uh, and you guys opened up, right? But but it was like, or second, excuse me. But um, I remember because Luke is the friendliest guy, and I just went up to him and I said, "Look, I'm I'm a huge fan. I just I just want to understand something." Because I said, "You have a string quartet on this record that sounds nothing like everything else." Like I said, I just have to ask you, like, what's up with that? And he goes, "I wrote that on piano." Yeah. So like, it's it's kind of it's kind of interesting. I think that and the Prague thing, you're absolutely right. Where it's almost like the Prague idea of of um, well, I guess they would say in uh, in film through composed, right? It's it's a through composed piece of music. Um, but yeah, but that kind of blew my mind because his. The, all the voicings, the way the bass and the guitar and the guitars are, it's just like, it's fascinating. Cause like, I haven't really heard writing for a guitar like that. You know, like that's sometimes my frustration with some of the certain, certain metal bands where it's just like, it's not that rhythmically interesting. And then the bass and the guitar are just doubling. And, and it's just like, there's not that much going on, but now you have these bands, which are kind of complex, you know, or or yeah. or the rhythm is driving it forward so much, like Mashuga or, um, yeah. But it doesn't have to be that fa- you know. It doesn't have to be that fancy. Um, yeah. yeah, we we recently. Yeah, but, but it is. Yeah. We well, yeah. I was on that note. We recently had um Brett Claren of Journey into Darkness, and he was in the band Sorrow back in the day. Yeah. On uh, just something he commented yeah. on was he was like nowadays a lot of the bands, most of the bands, um the members would have been the virtuoso musicians back in the death metal scene of the early 90s. In other words, um, in general, more more younger musicians have the chops um, in terms of death metal. So you're seeing like, the, I, I, I guess you could say what he was getting at maybe. And what I would what I what I would think is that the standard is kind of rising for musicianship in death metal as a whole. You know, technical death metal and brutal death metal are their own genres. And the bass players are definitely getting theirs in, um, you know, the, the technical death oh metal bands God, and yeah. all that. So it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's There's really blown up. Shit. But, but there are guys, but you know what the funny thing is, but there are guys, I mean, shout out to Sam Smith, Samuel Smith. I mean, that dude can play his ass off and he is not shredding, you know, and, and, and that's the thing that gets my total respect because it's just like everything that guy's playing, like that's one of my um, Luminous Vault. I don't know if you know that record, those guys. Yeah. It's uh, Sam and um, Mario Diaz de Leon. I mean, holy shit. Like, to me, like, that's a lot more interesting than, like, if people are shredding the whole time, it's like I lose interest at a certain point. Like, it has to have, like, an arc, like some sort of something pushing forward. I mean, Mushuga is not necessarily going to have the ballad, but it's pushing forward the whole time, right? And that that's the thing about these bands. Yeah, I mean, and whatever. And there, there's a bunch of bands, I mean... You know, we were talking about grindcore, and it's funny because I hear so much punk in that stuff, and it's just like, so then what are the, you know, what are the lines here? Yeah. You know, like yeah. one band, I'd love, I'd love to bring up, I'm, you know, you're, you're pretty much a collector, so uh, do you ever hear Decroitson? You know, Decroitson from Wisconsin? Uh, well, that's one of those bands where I've seen the name around, but it's not something that I've, um, I, I don't think I've given them the chance, to be honest. What is so funny to me is that there was like all this music, like the, 
really early 80s, mid 80s, which on some level is almost like Rancor. You know, it's, yeah. it's a really funny thing, you know. And, but then, but there were so many lines back then. You know what I mean? And like, I remember seeing, well, here's here's a great story, period. I was lucky enough to see Black Flag on the Slip It In tour at Irving. Oh, okay. And, oh, wow. Like, what a rhythm section. Kira, total shout out to her. What a great bass player. And Bill, uh, a drummer. I mean, it was like a Mack truck, you know? Um, so, yeah, yeah. And I don't want to get too off topic here, but, uh, but absolutely. Like, I think that, uh, yeah, I think for me, like, the prog thing was never. I guess I, I could see doing it if it was the right thing. Like I've talked to people about that. And, you know, it's funny you even bring that up. Like there was a guy that I was beginning to do, I guess it would be like an opera with huh. for a while, but like it wouldn't be your standard kind of opera. Um, so hopefully I'll finish that one day. But it's funny because I'm writing some of that music. Like I, some of the stuff I've been writing recently is kind of like that. Like I don't know. Um, how much you've listened to, but there's a record that Sun O did with Scott Walker called Soused or okay. Soused, people might say. And it's great because it's sort of like, it's like this almost like lyric opera meets Sun O. And yes. to, to, there's, there's some real shit there, right? You know, have like strings and just squealing guitar and, and vo you know, like I think that, that that's a beautiful thing about all this music opening up. I mean, and again, like I, I, after uh, Harry Morris from uh, Blood Incantation on your podcast, like I sort of did a deep dive into them. And to see Paul interviewed, right, like those guys, I mean, and, and that's why like they have my respect completely because like these are musicians, you know what I mean? And and, the, and that's and that's the stuff they dig and they write the, the cool stuff. But like Paul is like, he name checks, like it, it's insane, all the music he listens to, you know, which, he, which is why yeah. to me, like, when I, you know, I, I caught one live set that they did on YouTube, and like they're so clearly listening to each other, you know, that's yeah, yeah. Know, that that's that's a big thing too. I I think that's also um that also indicates a, a, a it's a big big show of like how they uh, how much time those guys have invested touring with one another and playing with one another as a group. You know, that's a it's one of those bands where it'd be hard to picture yeah. them working with session musicians, to be honest, because you you know they've become such a um. A, a, a force in the scene, you know. They're they're very noticeable, you know. And um, yeah, they're they they they. In my opinion, they deserve uh, all the hype and and the respect that they get. You know, they they've they're one of those bands that's so big now that they're polarizing, which in a way it's good because it's it, it's a good um kind of barometer of uh you know their success, I would say, or at least their support, you know. I I, I get that, and and also it's it's really good because there's always gonna be the fuck you band. Yeah. Who's going to go the other way? You know what I mean, and then go sloppy, or you know, go acoustic and, and think that they're doing something totally different. And that's that's what's great, you know, like that they're inspiring people. I hope, you know, a hundred percent. And and that that might be a good segue there because um, I do want to promote Dark Ages and uh, especially some of the artists you've collaborated you. with. Uh, recently, over this most recent recording, but be before we get into that, there were a few things in your background um, that yeah. I wanted the listeners to be aware of, and I think a good place to start. You know, you talked about there is some um, uh, musicians uh, in in your mother's side of the family. You get into bass. Mm -hmm. uh, you talked about Rush, funk, that kind of era. 
Um, and we kind of we kind of left off um, uh, talking about Mahavishnu Orchestra and that sort of thing. I know if I'm correct, but you you actually entered Berkeley School of Music from '83 to '84. I was there. I was there the summer between high school and college. My parents were not okay with music school, so I went huh. to Sarah Lawrence College uh, and I studied music there. I actually studied early music there, also. You know, like um, chamber music. That sort of thing. Uh, b- before that, actually, like John Dowland and William Byrd. So this is all like the, I guess it's pre-Baroque stuff. So this is like recorders and crumb horns and like very linear stuff. It's almost more like jazz. It doesn't sound like jazz, but um, so yeah. I mean, I, I was I was a I was kind of a a shredder on recorder actually. <laughs> um, I was lucky enough. Yeah, I was lucky enough to have a great teacher, Lenu Davenport, there who um, led a, a pretty renegade group, if you can believe it, in New York called the Pro Musica. And um, he was like, "You really should go to grad school and do all this stuff." And I just realized I had to make a choice, you know. And I, uh, I really wanted to be in a band and on tour, and, and um, I eventually took a gig with a band uh, in Boston, and we recorded in Wales the following April. So, at Rockfield Studios, which uh, a lot of famous stuff was uh, recorded there, got to record with Hugh Jones. So that that was my one rock star moment, right? And what what was the uh, album? It was a band called Dump Truck for the Country. Okay, because yeah, I have that listed here as 1987. Okay, I got it. All right, 87. Yep, yep. Yeah, the yep, very, yep. very interesting, uh, kind of like like uh, uh, folksy, melodic stuff, but with really interesting timing. Oh, did you listen to that? Oh, yeah, that's cool. You, um, yeah, it, it well, is. It is. You people can find it on YouTube. I, I don't know about other platforms, but yeah, it's out there. Spotify. Yep, Spotify yeah. and maybe Bandcamp. But um, what's really funny is you probably there's no reason you would even notice this, but I'm playing recorder on the album on one huh. tune, uh, just this very high note, which probably sounds like a penny whistle or something. But um, and also because whatever I was into all the prog shit, I uh, I basically took. Um, it's kind of a funny story. I bowed my electric bass huh. for this one tune, and they got the wrong kind of rosin, so I literally had to melt it onto the bow. So, so on the tune f- uh, for the country, I'm literally bowing an electric bass without a bridge. On that. Okay. So a little Jimmy Page. Interesting. Okay, and but no melody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. I don't want to skip ahead too far, but since we're on that note, and you talk about uh, bowing the bass. I, I did want yeah. to eventually ask you about, um, can we talk about your time in the Blue Man Group? Sure. Well, cause, I, I was, uh, yeah. Uh, well, for, not, to, not to cut you off, but just on that transition, for starters, I, I believe I read that you had to learn how to play the, the sticks um, or play the, the, the uh, I guess the, the appropriate term would be to, to play the stick um, uh, coming into Chatter the sick, group. yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. Well, which which for for people, I mean, I, a, a, obviously most of our listeners are aware of the Blue Man Group, but playing the sticks on these various kind of abstract forms is a huge part of this audio visual act that the Blue Man Group puts on. If people aren't aware, they can obviously you know look it up anywhere. So the story is kind of funny. Um, I didn't have that many gigs at that time, and I remember I went to this birthday party. My friend David Hamburger, great guitar player. Um, and uh, I had spoken to one of the original three guys, uh, I guess a, 
maybe a year or two before that when they were putting it together and they never called back so whatever and I heard from the kitchen something something looking for a Chapman 6 sub for Blue Man and I walked into the kitchen and I said I played stick but here's the joke I didn't play stick <laughs> <laughs> I I bought one in Boston thinking I was going to learn it right because I could just learn instruments pretty easily it's really hard and um and the funny thing is about it, you know, uh, the guy is still my friend. I, I got to sub for a guy named Larry Heineman, and um, he wrote all the parts himself. And what's so interesting is that it only uses half of the instrument for the show. So it would be like kind of like playing the piano with two fingers. So it's not exactly that complex. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I auditioned, and... Next thing I knew, he was on tour, and I was doing eight shows a week in the beginning. And wow. I was with the show in total uh, 23 years. I did. They did end up adding um, – oh, yeah, I had to play lap steel at first also. I had never played lap steel before. Talking drum, and um, and then eventually they added bass. So, <laughs> so, you, were, was, you, know, so you were back home. Yeah. So to speak. I was back home, except except that I had to play, but I had to play bass, I'm in stick, and talking drum. Now, uh, dance. yeah, I was just going to say, if we could pause to interject just for one second, just sure. for my for myself and some of the, the more laymen out there, um, the other death metal singers, uh, the you said it's the Chapman stick. That's the proper term. Mm -hmm. OK. Yeah. Now, for us, you know, watching on a video or something, it just looks like maybe you got something like a, a drumstick and you're and, you know, and, and you're tapping on something. Could you maybe explain like a little bit more of the technicality of, of why that's so difficult to learn and what it is? Well, it's. I think the drummers would would probably have a very easy time playing it. What it is, imagine a huge guitar neck. Now, of course, especially like in where progressive metal and everything is going, like there are many, many string guitars now, right? So I think it, it's not as huge a leap as it used to be. But but basically, imagine a cello on one half of the neck because it's tuned like a cello, C G D A E, and then. Right next to the lowest string, the strings start going up in fourths. Huh. So you can literally, so it's essentially what you, so you're tapping, right? You're not strumming it. You're just tapping onto the strings. So it's, it's, it's a lot like a piano in that your hands have to have independence if you're playing with both hands. But luckily for the show, we didn't have to have independence. <laughs> okay. You know? All right. Yeah. I, I, oh, well, well, let me, let, let me just tell you one funny joke. So years yeah. and years ago, I, w I was at some sort of bass player thing and I saw Tony Levin, the bass player for King Crimson, among others. And I said, Hey, Tony, I said, I make my living at the time. I make my living playing Chapman stick. And he goes, Oh yeah. And he goes, do you play the, do you play the uh, treble side? And I said, no, he goes, me either. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, uh, I mean, right. what people the funny thing is, what people know it from is to call elephant talk, King Crimson, and yeah. the funny thing is, is that you can play that on bass. Like I could literally play that on bass too. So, but anyway, but it was it was it was a great gig, and it was also gave me um, a, a different perspective where the drums are a very melodic element in that, and so that was kind of cool. Uh, I had more of the role of a jazz bass player, even though it's not at all jazz the music. Um, and what else? Uh, there's something along with that. I forgot. Oh, I guess, yeah, the visual aspect, like just that when I'm on stage that 
because there are certain musicians, you know, who just sort of like that they're just looking down at their shoes and like just the idea that you're on stage. So you have a responsibility to sort of tell a story when you're on stage. And, you know, it's not all the same thing, but, you know, like Slipknot is <laughs> a great example. In fact, I went with a buddy of mine. We saw Slipknot how many years ago? Probably about 14 years ago, something like that, maybe more huh. at the garden and like, I mean, but, you know, but, but they got it too. You know what I mean? It's like that there's this element of, of visual, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. And also, also like this idea of, of the, the percussion that it's not, it's not so bare bones that there's always something moving things forward. And that's, and that's kind of cool. And it, yeah. And it was also cool to be at a theater and I could go to the gig every night and I could do a gig afterwards or rehearsals during the day and everything was on time, you know, yeah, <laughs> unlike most of our yeah. gigs. Right. Right. So very interesting parallels between Slipknot and the Blue Man Group. There, um, very logical. There. Uh, now, so just to clarify, you would end up being one of the uh, performers, one of the Blue Men, so to speak. No, no, not a Blue Man. No, there's a band in New You're, York. Okay. I mean, it's every it's everywhere, but the tour is different than the Vegas show than the New York show, but. The New York, Boston, Chicago shows have a band of three people that are above the stage. Okay. And, uh, you know, and then we would paint ourselves and paint ourselves, by the way. We were, and it was multicolored, and then we'd have these sweatshirts that also had colored uh, fabric on them that glowed. So it's – oh, yeah, well, that's the other thing I should say. that. So when I first played the show, like I learned all the parts, right? And everybody was really happy with what I was playing. And all of a sudden, like we go and I'm actually in the show and the black lights turn on. I don't know if you've ever played in black light. In other words, everything that you see is opposite. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So I was like, oh my God. Oh my God. Wow. Well, uh, like my eyes like did a double take, you know? I, I don't know. Yeah. You I know? think I would have had a stroke trying to remember something like that. Jeez. <laughs> oh my god uh, all right yeah that, yeah you just gave yeah. me anxiety picturing myself in that all right but um <laughs> wow so that's that's interesting but i mean you so you spent over two decades with the blue man group yes yep and yep. was that a touring gig or were you just in new york city i i did mostly new york city i was uh i subbed in full-time and then subbed again um i filled in in uh in boston and chicago a couple of times you know uh, but I, I decided not to do the tours, so I wasn't. Yeah. But a lot of the guys that I knew did the tours, you know. Is there, like, a cult following for the Blue Man Group the way, you know, like the Grateful Dead uh, or Fish or uh, so many other kind of um, uh, bands have, like, fanships? Is there, like, a big cult following for that? Definitely. I don't know what it is these days, but there was definitely um, a very rabid following at one point. Uh, and it was interesting because, and I don't know if you've experienced this at gigs, but when people <laughs> people come up to you and like people know who people were, yeah, and they'd be yeah. asking sort of personal things. And it's always, you know, I, I learned something on tour back in 87 with Dump Truck. The leader of the band said to me, "Don't don't tell anybody where we're staying." You know, hmm. I'm thinking, "Why not?" Right? And you know, but you know, because people will knock on the door, you know, who are out partying or whatever. So, um, yeah, yeah, there's definitely rabbit uh, fans, and then you know, it's also nice to to meet some pretty famous people there. And like I was, you know, talking about Aerosmith. I remember back in 
in the early days of playing the show, I was talking to some woman. It's, it's a much more complex thing, but basically you talk through tubes into the audience. And I'm talking to some woman I realized is Brad Whitford's wife. <laughs> so I was just like, oh, my God. Yeah, and, you know, it was cool. I mean, I'm not saying this to brag. It was just like it's just kind of amazing to be there, like literally to meet Billy Gibbons, to meet, you know, David Bowie, to meet, uh, you know, Chad Wacker, uh, not Chad Wackerman, Chad Smith, you know, whatever. Yeah, and I'm sure there are yeah. a lot of people there. Yeah. Uh, Carl Palmer, you know, whatever. But and some people are friendlier than others. So I'll just say that. You say Billy Gibbons. I'm a big ZZ Top fan. I, I've seen them a few times. Me too, man. What a great band, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, but I am I am pissed that I didn't get to be. He did come one night. And I didn't get to meet him. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, rest, rest in peace, man. Um, but but getting getting back to um to to some more of of your work i mean that blue man group i like there's there's a lot to explore there i i felt like i don't want to harp on it too much but one last question you i i have here you joined in 91 and that's kind of like the recorded date on the mm-hmm. internet at least for the, for the band for the group the blue man group starting so it's safe to say then that you were kind of there for the uh you know people might remember i remember i grew up in the 90s it was a big uh, mm-hmm. kind of pop culture sensation for a while. Obviously, they've maintained their mm-hmm. success very, very well, but there was a while in the 90s where it was like on talk shows. It was, you know, referenced probably on, I'd imagine Seinfeld probably talked about it at one point or had an episode, right? Like, there, it was big, you know? It was, it was, yeah, it was huge. And and there's still like all kinds of cultural references and people will make Arrested Development references and just assume I'm listening and th- with that ear. Yeah. <laughs> so, just to say like i didn't so i didn't write the parts like i was the i came in as the first sub of my instrument right so i was there to maintain the parts although i will say in the early days we were improvising a lot in the show Hmm. and um sometimes i just sort of did what i felt like whether or not that was okay so you know because i was sort of used to improvising and just you know interacting and so um but I didn't really have anything to do with the writing of that music. But, you know, it was um, – so then it was, you know, it, it was okay to just sort of uh, – to maintain that. And then there's, you know, then there was new pieces. And it was a challenge for me also because um, although there were a couple of players who played with pedals back then, I know it might sound really weird these days, but, you know, as a bass player, I was used to playing bass, you know, playing the amp, getting my settings and just, you know, hungering down on my part as opposed to playing like with a wah-wah pedal and all this other stuff. Cause I had to do that for the show. Yeah. So that was like a little, you know, you know, uh, you know, skate or die moment, you know? <laughs> so anyway, but that was, yeah. And, you know, and, and the thing, I think that the thing that those guys taught me, which, you know, I will forever be grateful is that the work ethic of everybody there was incredible. You know, like the guys who founded the show, they would do, I don't even know how early they were up, but we would do notes after every single show. Huh. I mean, think about that, right? Yeah, you know? yeah. Well, I probably did, yeah, you know, at least four thousand shows. You know, we had notes after every show. Well, that speaks to that that big hype and success that I talked about before. That it didn't come easily, I guess. Yeah. No. No. I mean, they were. I mean, they they were doing something really interesting, and. You know, and it was something that uh, the only thing that was like it for me was seeing Mum and Shunts when I was a little kid in New York. It was uh, this performance art thing. And it was because it was amazing. They can communicate without saying any words. 
yeah. which is kind of amazing, which is also why people who couldn't even speak English could understand it, or people who are deaf came to the show too mm. and who dug it, you know? So that's kind of cool. All right. Well, something, um, as I said, you know, I, I don't want to um, harp on that all, all night because I do want to promote some of your more recent music. But so, one, one thing I did notice from your past, too, that I had to bring up and I feel yeah. I feel is relevant um, to uh, to dark ages in a way, maybe and to, to more heavier side of music. In 1998, you were part of the Brilliant Corners and and released the album yes. Brill- Brilliant Corners. That's C O R O N E R S, not to be confused with the Charles right. Mingus album Brilliant Corners, which this is, I guess, a sort of a tribute to. Thelonious Monk, actually, Thelonious Monk. Let me, okay, uh, let, that that's his album. But yeah, I, yeah. I I kind of got and, I, yeah. I, I got something right there though. Yes, no, absolutely. And, okay. and the funny thing is, is that a jazz, a jazz guitar player named the band, Pete McCann, who's a pretty big deal these days. And, uh, yeah, I don't know how, if you listen to any of the record, but it's, it's really all over the place. And, uh, we got to record it with my friend and brilliant engineer, BC. Um, I've, I've, uh, been lucky enough to record there a whole bunch of times. And, um, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And, and the funny thing is, is that we were doing stuff that, uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting, right? Because it's sort of like it has to take from all these different traditions. This guy John McDonough, that's the guy who wrote most of the arrangements. Um, he was into the Bad Brains and also into Monk and also into Anthony Braxton, the avant-garde saxophonist, and into traditional counterpoint. And so, you know, you get all these kind of crazy arrangements. Uh, I mean, the the only equivalent, although it's not as out there as they are, but like Mr. Bungle might be almost like a, a you know, a tangent to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, there's... There's a lot there that I wanted to cover. Um, and just, just so you know, the album, I, I was able to find it on YouTube and, and listen to it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But, but cool. it's... Cool, thank you. Yeah, yeah, of course, well, you know, as research. And I'm just looking up here now, um... Uh, some information on it, and you—you you guys did play out um, uh, in New York City with with this group quite a bit. It wasn't just a studio project, right? Mm-hmm. No, not at all. No, we used to play Knitting Factory Tap Bar a, a whole bunch, and we packed out the place a whole bunch. And that was that time you, know, you mentioned fish and all that stuff. There were like a lot of there was a whole scene around Knitting Factory. Some of it was jam bandish, but I think that we were a jam band that was, you know. That had tunes, so <laughs> hopefully it was interesting to people. But yeah, and then we got to play the main stage. Uh, actually, this is—you probably know this band. We got to open for Sleepy Time Gorilla Museum at Sixth. Um, <laughs> yeah, I got to admit, I'm not man. familiar with that band, but I—I'm I, ta- I take oh, it that was some sort of like very eccentric, uh, kind of like very, metal very, band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, I know you did them. They're—they're they're amazing. All right, man. And like really, really dark, you know, kind of like Mr. Bungle-ish, but mm. they're, you know, they're, they're like, imagine sort of like goth metal prog with masks and like, they were nuts. They were so great. Um, so we got to play there and then we opened, I think, for some, I forgot, it was like one of those like swing bands, if you remember, like in the early 2000s, you know, like the movie Swingers, like one of those, it was like, I didn't know why we were. No, actually, no. I guess we got to we got to open for a bunch of 
I think we played Main Saints uh, a couple of times. Now oh, that I think about it, yeah. was that band the Squirrel so anyway, Squirrel Nut Zippers? The- squirrel Nut Zippers. Yeah. <laughs> no, we didn't open for them, but yeah, no, I mean they're, they're cool. But I think we also got to open for this guy who, rest in peace, Jeffrey Lee Johnson, who is one badass guitar player. He, um, yeah. So that was that was nice. You know, in fact, they treated us well. And, yeah, that uh, was that was when they were in Manhattan over there. Um, back, yeah, back, yeah, back yeah, on Leonard Street. Yeah, no, we even played the original one on Houston Street. Okay, yeah, yeah. that was a tiny little room, a little, yeah. little bit before my time there. Um, yeah, yeah, I only saw the one in, in uh, Manhattan, but but yeah, that that brilliant coroner's record. Um, it's uh, I, you know, I would say just for the for the listeners, a good frame of reference, uh, or to put it in context, might be, um, at some points, it does remind me of like some some of the works of John Zorn and Naked City. Exactly. Well, so <laughs> I was going to say Zorn before, but I forgot. So yeah, absolutely. Naked City was it was very explicitly the reference for that. And I think worth adding to this that the keyboard player from that band, Andy Pritikin, he's the guy who turned me on to Mushoga and Lamb of God. Hmm. He's he's a total total WSOU loving dude. So yeah, yeah and w- WSOU that's like the independent radio station in New York City there. Uh, no, from Jersey. It's up south. It's um, South Orange. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. You met. You mentioned yeah. before you're from Bergen. Yeah, yeah, Leonia. Yeah, I that, grew up in Leonia. That's just for the listeners who aren't from the region. That's in like North Jersey, um, in fairly close proximity yeah. to New York City, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Yep. Okay. So, um, uh, wow. Just moving forward because I wanted to get that brilliant corners out of the way and talk about that a little bit. But um, you know, moving mm-hmm. moving forward from that, I know you do a lot of time um, as a music teacher, um, uh, te- teaching people from all ages. You even teach kids, right? Yep. Yeah. I was. Uh, I got to. You know, I needed some some more work and. Um, my friend Charlie Z, who played Behold the Octopus with Colin a long, long time ago. Yeah. Uh, that, that, that was a great lineup with Charlie. Um, he said to me, he came to the Blue Man one day, and he just goes, hey, you know, uh, Jesse Crack, I was looking for a sub at School of Rock. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So I called him, and I started teaching at School of Rock. And, um, you know, it was it was really nice to, to teach kids because most of them were motivated, and that was nice. And... Uh, and then I taught for a different program called Come Join the Band, and that's where I really got my teaching jobs together. Uh, the cool thing about that program is that in general, like when I was growing up at least, if kids wrote songs, their parents would be like, that's nice. Or, you know, I guess, I guess you have the, uh, the opposite of that where people are trying to get their kids a vanity album or something like that. But this... The cool thing about this program is that it was pairing professional musicians with kids, so they wrote with them. And uh, it's amazing the stuff that comes out of five and six year olds, eight year olds, you know, like crazy songs. And so <laughs> I think the one, the one, the one song that's that's worth mentioning is uh, this this one band. Let's see if I can remember their name. I can't remember their name, but uh, Isaac and uh, Richard, these two brothers. And the song that I wrote with them that summer was called Jurassic Armageddon. Wow. <laughs> they, they're really into the Megalodon sharks. And um, so basically it was Rage Against the Machine meets the Pixies. And what's so cool about this and this program is a very positive program. And uh, the other kids liked the song so much that other kid bands covered that song. Can you imagine? 
right? So, so that and that part of teaching, I love, and I, I also love the idea of just empowering kids as early as I possibly can. You know, so this has happened a lot where especially during COVID, like in the beginning, a lot of people, um, parents are going crazy. Like my kids, don't, you know, they're going nuts at home and all that stuff. And I just put the word out. I was just like, look, if your kid wants to come and hang out and write songs for an hour a week, like I'll, I'll put a grip together. And so we did that. And uh, it's amazing what they can do. And kids have to work with each other too. I think like all these all these tropes about kids not being able to work together and or not being able to come up with mature ideas or finish things, I think that like with the right environment they can do that. So that was like a real education um, for me and for them, you know. Wow. I hope so. Wow, I, that's you know because I was gonna ask uh, what you got back from working um, with kids of all ages musically and if that affected your own uh, compositions and your own approach to music, but it sounds like I got my answer. Yeah, man. I mean, well, the other thing, I mean, there's a couple of things, like I have a friend, you know, I've heard rap mentioned a bunch on, on your podcast, and one of my friends is Princess Superstar. I don't know if you ever heard of her, but she, uh, I remember we were talking about working together a while ago, and, and there's here's another really funny song called Dr. Cookie, about a cookie who's a dentist. Like, like these kids, like, this is much more bizarre than, than the stuff you're going to get from adults. So, because they just, they don't, you know, there's no censors, which is great, you know. Uh, yeah, so it's it's nice. It's nice to and also to be able to um, have a kid like I had just a couple of months ago. This one kid, Ali, I think he's ten now. He was sort of you know bouncing off the walls and um, for a while, and you know he all of a sudden he just sent me something like an email, like, "Hey, what do you think of this?" And you know, it's like he figured some stuff out, and like that that feels great for me. You know? Yeah, I'm sure that's very rewarding. Um, wow. So, so what I want to get at then is, you know, you, you get more into teaching um, mm -hmm. through through the teens. You know, you've mentioned some of your connections with like people like Colin Marston and um, mm -hmm. other other musicians that are more from the extreme side of things and being exposed to gore guts and things like that. And I know in 2018, that's kind of like the first official release. I guess it's a self titled album with Dark Ages. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. Well. So. Oh, sorry. I'm cutting you off. Go ahead. Well, no. I, would, I just want to say, take me through then your journey into the more extreme side of music uh, in New York City, and kind of coming into working with those guys and putting stuff out in that scene, and and um, uh, you know, I guess kind of like ingratiating yourself into into that corner of New York City's music scene. You got it. So, so the funny thing is, so I mentioned Jesse Krakow before, and. Uh, like he's he's been a friend for a bunch of years at this point. We you know we met basically. I was subbing for him, and then he invited me to play on a gig as a tribute to Captain Beefheart. Then yeah. we did a Spinal Tap tribute. I mean Jesse's stuff is nuts, and so on the um, Beefheart gig, uh, Nick Didkowski was on the gig, and. Uh, among other, I mean, a million Keith Abrams, the drummer. Um, a million people and I'm just like, wow, these people are so good and they're all so nice. <laughs> you know? <laughs> I think I was I was used to New York being hard, you know. Yeah. And, and um and so I think that there are just a lot of connections I made. But Jesse introduced me to my friend Dylan Sparrow. Uh because I was doing actually it's funny. Uh, my friend uh Diane uh she goes under Diane Kamikaze, she's a was a DJ in WFMU. 
um, a long time ago. We used to play in a punk band back in the 80s together. But uh, but Diane, so basically she was doing some sort of marathon. And I said, well, if I put a band together, could I play on this marathon on FMU? And she goes, yeah, absolutely. And so it was me and Larry um, from Blue Man uh, in the band. And then uh, Ernest Anderson, this uh, guitar player who's worked in Martin BC's band. And um, who else? And Andy O'Neill on drums. And, and then Dylan, because if we needed a singer, like it'd be comfortable just improvising basically thrash metal. So we huh. improvised the whole set. <laughs> and let me tell you something, because there were some like established stoner metal bands and like just like straight up, you know, just, you know, by, you know, by the book metal bands. And a lot of them were just, I, I could just see them sort of, <laughs> the band was called Napkin. We did one gig, you know, and like basically people, I could see them looking through the glass like, what the fuck is going huh. on? You know, but it was a lot of fun. And so anyway, um, Dylan tried to turn me into Gorgots years before I got into Gorgots. And then, uh, I don't know. I think I was just, I love recording at home. And so oddly enough, like all of this education shit, like it's all kind of connected because you know, you talk about extreme metal. Like to me, I was always interested in extreme everything. Well, like, what does it sound like when there's like total dissonance? Like, what does that sound like? Well, there's a classical composer, Penderecki. He has a piece called Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima, which is some of the scariest music you'll ever hear. Um, and then there's a, a piece of music in 2001 uh, by Ligeti called uh, Lux Eterna. You know, and so, I don't know, it's the fever dream one night of um, what would a band sound like if it was sort of like metal, but it was two bass players, two guitar players, and drums. So I did these, and it's on my SoundCloud. You can actually hear, it, you know, where I'm playing all the guitars and all the basses and program the drums. Uh, a piece called Dark Ages, and I was like, and people, I think I sent it to a bunch of people. The original Dark Ages gig was Nick Dutkowski, Nick Adi on guitar, Joe Gallant played bass, um, great bass player, and then Keith Abrams played drums, and we had a great time. And, um, and eventually I wanted to record, and uh, I got Jesse Crack out to play bass, and uh, Nick Adi and Dutkowski were there, and then I got Dave Miller, and uh, and where else was I going to do it? But the best studio, you know, best drum sound I knew at that time was uh, Martin BC studio. So we basically all came with sketches on index cards and we improvised the <laughs> record. Wow. Um, and, and then, and worth, worth saying, I mean, it is a brag, uh, just to be clear, is I, I, I listened to the record and I was really happy with it, you know, and so was everybody else. And I sent it to Southern Lord, you know, and I wrote to them, I was like, I think this should be on your label. And little did I know that I wrote, wrote to Greg, one of the co-owners of the label, who answered back and he goes, this is pretty good. And, you know, can you send something more? And uh, they did not want to put the album out. Um, I'm not exactly sure why, but he was asking if there's going to be vocals on it. And mm -hmm. I said, no, I, I hear this is instrumental. <clears throat> but then, you know, Nick uh, Dukowski at a certain point was saying like, hey, you know, what happened to that Dark Ages project? Oh yeah, we did one gig at Spectrum. That's also on YouTube, playing some of the tunes. And of course, it's not at all the same as the album, but it has some of the same, relatively speaking, melodies. Um, Nick Dukowski is like, so what? You know, what about the album? And and then Jesse was like, well, we produce it. And you know, at a certain point, he just realized he wanted to do different things. And uh, 
I said, uh, I, I hear a vocal album. And, and Nick, Nick D was sort of like, yeah, I don't know. Like, can you explain like what you're hearing? And so I took on the thankless task, not on like ProBot. I wasn't trying to be like the ProBot record, but I thought, okay, I'm going to do 10 tunes or whatever tunes. I'm going to have a different singer for each song, which is <laughs> pretty masochistic, I have to say. <laughs> and of course, and we had no idea that COVID. And so, so for this one, and I wanted um, Alex Cohen to play drums and he totally killed. And then my friend uh, Jacob Sunshine was a guitar player I met through uh, some other musicians. He's probably one of the best guitar players I know in the world. Um, great player. And he and Nick played beautifully together. And then I asked Colin to play bass with me cause, since Jesse was out. And um, I don't know how much of the stuff you listen to, but like, like for me, it was just so fun to get everybody to be on the, I mean, Cynthia Slay of the Bush Tetras, the punk, post-punk band, Bush Tetras, you, the guys from Mercury Tree are on two tunes, Jerry Lang from Poison Idea, the, uh, yeah. the punk band from Portland. Yeah, yeah. right? Like, very, a, very interesting, shit, you know? very interesting mix um, uh, of, of, of different singers. And, I, you know, like I said before, I, I was fortunate enough, to, you know, I appreciate the opportunity. We did a track where I was um, uh, the vocalist, uh, and there's a lot of yeah, diff- you're great. Um, a lot of different uh, type of vocalists too, man. A, a great array of people. I was I saw that the guy from Poison Idea was on there. That that was very interesting. And this is all on Bandcamp. Um, I don't yeah, know that it's it the whole, it's the whole album. It's kind of arranged on Bandcamp in terms of different singles. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So is yeah. is is, is, is that, exactly, uh, that's a good okay. question? Yeah. Well, no. I, well, because part of COVID just spearheaded everything. So, so it was basically, I was waiting for people to track it. I just thought, let me just start releasing this as singles because yeah. that maybe that would be a good way to do it. And then the other person, because I don't want to leave her out, is Mary Knapp, mm-hmm. who did uh, The Oceanic. And like, it's funny because, you know, you talk about, I mean, at least, uh, you know, she's like half my age. So when I said, you know, well, what about Diamanda Gallus? She's like, who? You know, but like, you hear that stuff and you would never know that this is. By the way, Mary sang on Broadway. Wow. <laughs> yeah, The Great Comet of 1812. She's probably the best musician I know, period. And uh, she killed it. You know what I mean? And so it's it's just, uh, there are actually three other tunes that uh, we still need to get together. But um, I'm thinking about just releasing that maybe as an EP. Hmm. Um, and I just, I, I shouldn't even say, but I just wrote to a label that I realized that I like a lot of their output. And uh because I think the thing is, as at least my experience so far, is that putting the Dark Ages record on Chant Records, um, because it was out for a little while just on my own, but then I thought, you know what, Like, let me align myself with a label, because at least you, I want, I don't want to be doing all the work promoting it, and also I want uh, sort of like an overall sound to be identified with a label, and it's not a metal label at all. And, and by the way, I'm sure metal musicians will listen to this music and be like, this isn't metal, you know, but, but what is it? You know what I mean? Like, I don't know, you know, well, it's improvised, you, you know, that, that that's the interesting part about it though, is, um, with dark ages is that it's, it is heavy music. Um, and I wanted to ask you in particular though, what are the metal influences? I guess I'll say, because on a, on a, 
on a um like a cosmetic level like you look at the cover art the band name the song titles mm-hmm. you might think you're in you're you know you're, you're in store for like some sort of old school thrash like proto black metal type of thing you know it's very dark mm-hmm. it has that kind of like romantic uh dark death metal imagery going for it but when you listen to this music um it actually you, you know you, you talked about how um uh Martin BC who people might know for producing um Helmet, Bill Laswell, people like that. Like it has this kind of noise rock feel to it. So what what go, sure. what are the metal in your heart and mind, what are the metal influences on Dark Ages? The first well, I think that there are two for the first record, definitely, which would be the band Sleep. Mm-hmm. The album Dope Smokers specifically. Yeah. And then uh and the first uh Black Damaged, Black Flag Damaged. And you mentioned uh, uh, seeing Black Flag many years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I saw Black Flag, and then I also saw Flag when they reunited, which was amazing to see Chuck Tagoski play bass. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think that the – and for the new record, it's just like – it's the, like the Cynthia Slate tune as an example. Like I wanted to – I just sort of gave – because the other thing is, I you know, I try to be um, – I like it, you know, when everybody contributes or whatever, but um, it's just, we were sort of getting down to the wire, so I ended up writing, like, most of the music. And I think everybody was happy that way also. But um, the tune with Cynthia Slay, like, there's literally no distortion at all. And and if, if you listen closely enough, it's like there's this almost vertigo-like feeling. And so the, 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 the goal there was to write, well, what would metal sound like without distortion? You know, like what would have the same effect as that? And so the band, like I remember we did it, I think maybe maybe two or three takes. And at a certain point, I'm like, okay, guys, like think about a David Lynch film where they walk into the bar and they see something that just is completely messed up. <laughs> Play that, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, so yeah, so the, so the influences, yeah, I mean, I guess maybe Morricone, uh, or no, not Mark, what's his name? Um, Guy does uh, anyway, Badalamenti, the guy who does, you know, uh, Lynch's thing, and it's funny because, like, you know, I know that Nick uh, was saying about the the tune, which is very to me very clearly black flag. He's like, oh yeah, the surf tune, like surf tune, which tune is that? Um, and then and then I think that the other stuff definitely like uh, it would be in there somewhere. And I was encouraged not to wear the shirt for the band photo, but Burzum, <laughs> you know. <laughs> I like them, you know, like, it's like a vibe, you know what I mean? And like some of the stuff, it's funny because some people, and I get, I get a lot of shit for this. People say, oh, well, you know, you, you, you will know this music theory. It's just like, there's a lot of stuff on there that's in weird time signatures. And I just wrote it and felt it. Do you know what I mean? It's, I'm not like I was thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to write a song in 11.8 now, you know? Like it has to be music. And the, 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 what was amazing also is that everybody was so positive you know, to get like, and, well, that's the other thing that's funny. Like, I mean, you know, you know Colin pretty well, and I'd only met him like briefly before, but like, he's, he's always so serious looking at <laughs> all these interviews and everything. And he's the nicest, like, positive yeah. guy. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. so, like, it was such a pleasure working with him and really, like, I don't know, it just it felt very open. You know what I mean? Like, like they're all possibilities, so I think that that's kind of it. And, oh yeah, and then and it's believe me, we're we're way far away from this. This is coming at some point. 
uh, Jerry Lang and I have stayed in touch, and so look for an EP. I don't know what name that's going to be under, but like, I got this very beautiful email from him a couple of weeks ago saying, like, man, you know, like every time I hear your stuff, I'm screaming it like I've heard it my whole life, and you know, like his Poison Idea is such an interesting band to me, you know, because uh, as as we turn over all the stones here, it's just like, you know, that there are a couple of punk bands. I mean, actually, they're probably hundreds or thousands, I don't know, but like Poison Idea was, I remember saying to a friend of mine in Portland, I'm like, you know, wouldn't it be cool to get like, he goes, why don't you get Jerry Lang? And I'm like, oh, okay, I'll look him up. And I wrote to him and I said to him, so you know Jerry? And my friend said, no. <laughs> so, but it's like, I want somebody who could do that like intense Rollins thing without being Henry Rollins. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's He's got his own style. Yeah, I, I thought that was very interesting. Poison Idea is a good band. I mean, um, you know, as it's like I'm I'm the same way. I, I'm not a punk expert. I have certain bands I know. Poison Idea is a kind of an interesting band too. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they have a sense of humor, also. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So with Dark Ages now, you you know, you mentioned you 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 know the pandemic kind of influenced you to release it in that way with a few singles that are on the band mm-hmm. camp now. Um, sure. I also know you have Tom, just a regular Tom Shad uh, band camp where you have mm-hmm. um, some other pieces that you've released, uh, kind of like solo bass material mm-hmm. and uh, material with, mm-hmm. with, with different co- collaborators. I don't know if any of it would, would fall under the blanket of heavy music, but it's definitely interesting for people who are uh, this far into the conversation, I would say. Definitely not, right? Like, and, and again, I'll, I'll name check Paul. I don't remember his last name from Blood Incantation. You know, like he comes, he talks about coming out with the ambient albums. Well, I have this one album called Collection, which is completely solo. Um, and I did it in Ableton live, and it's lots of loops, and it's gotten a lot of positive response. And it's so it's it's kind of nice to do stuff, you know, just on my own. Yeah, yeah, solo bass stuff and. Um, I did one album uh, with Jonathan Siegel, who plays in Camper Van Beethoven and Orsted Orsted Sound System, I think they're called. They're from Norway. I don't know, somewhere around there. He's in Sweden. Um, He's done like a million different things. So, yeah, like, and and there's a bunch of projects that, you know, I mean, I'm hoping are going to. Oh, yeah, I also released a single, I guess, a couple of months ago with Patty uh, Rothberg. And I played uh, guitar and bass on that, and so you know, like I'm always just looking to to get engaged. That right? I mean, that that's the whole thing. Like we're you know we were talking about before. It's just like it's just getting people to show up. Yeah, <laughs> see see what that's that you know see what's going to bait people into uh, to to listen to the music and get behind it. Yeah, that's that's kind of like. Right. The- trick i know i was i was was just gonna say like that that's the other thing like half of us you know you talked about like being part of a scene and like for me um you know uh, and i am gushing like to have people like nick uh and colin and people like that who are like really encouraging like it's it's great because you know uh i need to be able to sort of you know give up whatever to do it because i want to do it but it's it's nice to get to get positive feedback or why don't you try this and you know, I've been experimenting. I've been playing a lot more guitar during the pandemic. And, um, oh, yeah, I should mention, you know, it's also worth Googling on the YouTube. We did, uh, we played uh, Black Sabbath, uh, Master of None, a couple of times with uh, Lizzie Edwards on vocals and Charlie Roth playing drums. And that was a real education for me because I was not necessarily a Sabbath kid. And when I just, like, discovered learning that record was – how much jazz there is in Sabbath. I know that, 
I mean, and I'm not talking about Alex Skolnick, you know, from Testament playing jazz, you know, playing the jazz version of Paranoid. I'm, I'm saying that like the way that the the bass and the drums are, you know, like Gold War is not pounding the hell out of the drums necessarily. Like yeah, a lot of the rhythms yeah. that so it was it was a real education, but um why am I mentioning this? Yeah, and anyway, so it's just like like a chance to just work, you know. Um that's the whole thing. And I just, you know, oh, so so because Nick was into all this stuff, I'm just like, yeah, well, look, whatever. Let me check out some Tony Iommi stuff. What would it feel like to play on guitar? And so I've never thought about it when I'm learning all the parts, you know, for Master of None. But um, Master of, I keep saying Master of None. Oh, my God. You got to edit this out. Ma- Master, Master of Reality? reality? Okay. I was, Jesus I was... Christ. Oh, my God. My brain is definitely pulling apart. So Master of Reality. Thank you. Um the what I didn't realize is that Tony Iommi played in drop C or drop C sharp a lot. And so, you know, some of the more recent I sent you some stuff and it's just like and again, like I'm getting so much of a positive response from people. It's so funny, right? It's it's you know, you can be doing whatever, banging my head against the wall trying to do this or that, and then you just try something without so much invested and it's amazing how much you know, and then people are like, That's it, that's good, you know. And uh uh, yeah, and I'll take that too, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, and and it's funny you bring it back to this because this is something I wanted to ask you about before. You mentioned mm-hmm. um, this Black Sabbath uh, uh, cover um, uh, jam you did. You mentioned uh, the the um, Captain Beefheart uh, kind of tribute mm-hmm. jam that you were part of, and that, that's actually where you where you first met Nick uh, Dukovsky. I met Nick many, many, many years before that, actually. Okay. I, not, 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 I don't know how much research you did because there's so many, I have so many recordings out, but there's a band called Vira, V-I-R-A, and that um, that band features a guitar player named Marco Capelli and Mary Knapp, who sings on the Dark Ages record, and Ethan Meyer on drums. And... So Marco and I met like on the improv scene like a long, long time ago. Marco is like a ridiculous world, world-known Italian guitar player, classical guitar player. And um, he was doing some sort of concert, and Nick wrote a piece for him. This is probably 20 years ago, no, like no joke. Uh, and Nick was the nicest guy, you know what I mean? And I just thought, oh, he's cool, you know, very friendly. And, uh, yeah, so then I, you know, then I met Nick again. So I already kind of knew who he was. But Nick, I mean, now I don't know if Colin studied with him, but I know that a lot of other people studied with Nick with this computer programming language called JMSL. Like, like there's a lot of people. I mean, I think that when I was, whatever, when I was a kid and teenager, like people kind of hold their cards close. Like they knew a lot more than they said they did, you know. Mm -hmm. And what I love is that Nick is like unabashedly like, into Gojira, we're gonna go see Mashoko when they come. You know, when they finally come to New York again, I've seen them, I think, five times. You know, it's, you know, and I, I love that. You know, like that. He's not living in just one world. You know, no, absolutely. That's- um, I will, and well, because on that note, the reason why I asked what I was getting back to is the one tribute or cover uh, act that I, I know you also had. There's a video on your website. Was my bloody Valentine? You also um, did some yes, covers. Yes, sir. Of. Yeah. Well, so I thought that yeah, was yeah. I thought that was interesting in the context of some of the other music you're known for. Um, My Bloody Valentine is that a band that you followed and were into back when they were having their initial run, or was that more something Dude. that you just got involved on a cover uh, basis for to to to, to work? 
No, that was totally my idea. And what's so interesting is that I was in England in 87 and my bloody Valentine were huge at that yeah. point there. And, 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 and I was just sort of like, God, what is this band? You know, who, who are they, you know? And for, so I don't know when I heard, isn't anything that's their first record on creation here, at least I don't know if they have anything before that. I don't think they do. And I just like, I just, I couldn't believe how good it was. And so I played the shit out of that. And I was lucky enough, if you can imagine, to see them at Maxwell's. So this is like a hundred capacity room. And they were, I mean, you know that Bose commercial with the speakers with the hair blowing back? It was like (laughs) that loud. It was ridiculous. I've seen them twice. The second time was at Roseland. And that was, you know, I could feel my jeans moving. But like that first time it was... Yeah, I love my Billy Valentine because it's like they're they're melodic, but they're also drony, but they're also heavy, you know. Um, and what's funny also is that on that gig, same guy by the way who played in the Sabbath tribute plays drums in my Bloody Valentine thing, who also plays keyboards and bass, Charlie Roth, who also played with Ozzy, by the way, Ozzy Osbourne. Um, that was just something I wanted to put together, and like I did a bunch of gigs like that. There was another one. We also did, uh, let's okay, I'm going to sound like an idiot if I can't think of the name of this album. Oh, it was Kill City, you know, the Iggy James Williamson album called Kill City? Uh, I'm not familiar it's, with uh, it. But... That's a great record. So okay. I did that with uh, Tammy Faye Starlight, who's pretty much known for her Nico impressions and Marianne uh, Faithful impressions, but with her as Iggy. <laughs> and... Uh, I think he might know her husband, Keith Hartel. He played in Adrenaline OD. Uh, they played uh, bass in Adrenaline OD. So it was me and Keith Hartel and Kevin Salem, who played in Dump Truck with me, and uh, Ron Metz. And yeah, was, you know, so we played that album down. Like, that was kind of what I was into for a while. Like, I just, I mean, there's also, there's so many tributes like that that I did. I also did uh, a tribute to Towns Van Zandt, the country guy. Huh. Okay. Uh, you know? Yeah, I mean, I just, you know, I, I just like playing. Yeah, it's not, it's not, I like making money, don't get me wrong, but, um, but it was more about, uh, just doing what I was passionate about, you know? Well, on that, on, on that note, now that things are opening up again for live music, are you mm -hmm. gigging again? Is there anything you'd like to plug or anything like that, uh, going on? Sadly, I have no gigs on the books right now. Um, there is talk. You know, I'm sure that as things truly open up that, oh yeah, I was going to mention it before, that this collective that I have called Murderer's Row, um, that we will probably be playing at the Cutting Room at some point soon, but there's literally right now nothing. Um, a bunch of my friends and I have talked about doing gigs, but, uh, you know, it has to be right, hmm. you know, it, it, that that's the thing. And it's not so much like, you know, pay me $500 as, as much as just to make sure that everything is uh, is safe, you know, because uh, a lot of musicians I knew got COVID um, and most of them lived, you know, but, uh, but it's just, you know, I just, I need to make sure for myself that, uh, that, you know, that it's cool. Yeah. Well, and you know, Tom, I, we, we, I could always cut this part out if you'd like um, with respect to your privacy, but you were very candid mm-hmm. about it on the, uh, Elved YouTube channel um, yeah. that I referenced before, 
that you actually had, if I'm correct, a heart transplant and you had it during like the height of the COVID uh, uh, pandemic. Yeah, I think I think I would be of service to talk about this so we can leave it in. Um, yeah, and, and yeah, just, just, I, just so the listeners yeah. know, um, I'm not to cut you off, but the, this LVAD, LVAD YouTube channel, this is a gentleman who's, his content is more related to um, heart conditions and heart surgery than it is any kind of a music-based uh, platform. Mm-hmm. So there, there, you, you did a whole interview right. regarding this. If you just want to ma- uh, maybe surmise that and talk about it a little bit, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it, it, with the chance that it might help somebody who uh, – so let's see. Well, what's the short, relatively short version? So the relatively short version is that I was born with a condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. And what that means is that the septal wall, that's the part uh, in between the uh, atria and ventricles, something like that. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. Um, thickened over time. And so uh, there are a lot of people, and it's a funny thing, like there are certain things that people will hear about, um, you know, which was my fear, by the way, about any health things getting out. You know, to work in music, it's really hard um, if anybody thinks that you're sick and that, you know, that you can't do a gig or something. And so, but basically, uh, the way the, the blood flow to my heart was getting worse and worse, and uh, I got very lucky. Um, I had a doctor who was on my side, Dr. Mary Jane Farr, who's now in Dallas, whose first concert was Humble Pie. <laughs> Shout out to Dr. Farr. Huh. Uh, she, um, you know, she was very proactive on getting me on the list, which, you know, you actually kind of need to audition to get a transplant. They don't just give hearts to everybody. So, uh, and, you know, it's, and there's a lot to it. But, um, yeah, so... I think it's just that the timing, it was just, it was in January. And I mean, I, you know, I was a dad of a f- five-year-old I guess, at the time. And mm-hmm. like, I walked in, I felt relatively healthy. And, and that's the funny thing. People would see me because I was gigging, you know what I mean? And I was a dad of a young kid. And, you know, people would say, you don't look like you have, you know, that you're in heart failure. But the thing is that there are a lot of people who are in heart failure. And it's not like... I think some people get scared when they hear these words, you know, things like cancer, things like heart failure, things like mental illness, you know, is that people kind of back away, right? And uh, uh, so basically, uh, there's a much longer story, but um, they threw me out of the hospital on uh, on St. Patrick's Day of, um, what year was that? Of uh, 2020. And could normally people go to cardiac rehab, you know, like sort of like a step down kind of thing so that you're strong enough to walk around and everything. But, uh, you know, COVID was insane. And if you've ever seen the show Walking Dead, it was like that. The hospital was like almost empty. They were trained to the hospital to a COVID ward. I mean, it was, it was insane, you know. Um, and that was, I mean, and so if anything, I mean, I think that there's part of it is just like is embracing this life. And I know that all this sounds cliche, but it's like in a way it also made me really embrace my music that much more. Mm. Uh, I've been studying counterpoint and composition. I've been, you know, I've written a 
uh, a couple of movements of a piece for orchestra. I'm writing a string quartet now, you know. Don't be turned off if you're not into that stuff, you know. Uh, and the, that doesn't mean people have to like it. But but it's funny about Sean. That's the guy with the Elvat podcast. He came into a music room. By the way, he's really into music. And he has a music podcast too, oddly enough. Um, but I looked and we were on this uh, app called Clubhouse. And I said to him, I sent him a message. I said, does that say Elvat? You know, he's like, yeah, you know, and so uh, he, I guess, will eventually need a transplant, you know, um, and that's, you know, that's what it is. And uh, March 2nd was two years and it's kind of crazy, right? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, that's, uh, that's, yeah, I mean, but that's the other kind of funny thing, right, is that, which is, uh, I'm not necessarily a straight edge, like in the, in the old school way, but you know, for my health at this point, probably, you know, not doing weed and alcohol is huh. probably in my interest. Probably in my interest, but it's kind of funny because I always find that it's not all the music I'm into, but you know, like especially with some of this like technical death metal stuff, like a lot of these guys are serious hazards, and that's cool. You know what I mean? Like it's it just it's just it's ironic. You know what I mean? And it's and it's a funny thing too because. Um, you know, I don't know. I, like my, you know, my daughter. Like I, I feel really lucky. I mean, first of all, to be living to be with her. But uh, you know, like I'll, I'll play her some stuff. She loved Artificial Brain, by the way. But uh, <laughs> but like her, I think one of her favorite bands of whenever she'll like make a request, she'll want to hear the Bad Brains. Awesome. And, you know, the fact yeah. that a seven year old wants to hear the Bad Brains, and she has the same Vitus decal on her bass. So there is hope. That's great. Wait, so so your daughter's playing bass. Well, that's a good question. She's the bass. She has a bass. Okay. And my, my, my old diss was, you know, be like, oh, Tom plays bass. I'll be like, yeah, Tom owns a bass. <laughs> you know? So, you know, we are what we do, right? So, still, still in development. You know, what's interesting, you mentioned the bad brains. What occurred to me before I, mm -hmm. I thought I had listened to um, a year or two ago, John, I think his, his name is John Joseph from the Cro Mags. Um, oh yeah, he, that's right. He was doing a round of interviews. He was doing a lot of publicity a few years ago. I think he wrote a book. Regardless, he had oh. talked at yeah, length. He did. Yeah, he he had talked at length about how the um when they started hanging out with the guys from the Bad Brains, the guys from the Bad Brains turned them on to Chick Corea and what what is it? Journey to Forever is the band. Re return return to, forever. to forever. I'm sorry. Yeah, and he's uh, he was talking about how the bad brains put them on to Chick Corea and Return to Forever, and how um you know musical uh you know even hardcore and more extreme types of music could be. I'll always remember that as kind of like a very interesting anecdote. But see, and by the way, his book is really good. <laughs> so, yeah, I got I got to read it. And I, I was not it. a Chromax guy. Yeah, it's it, it's totally it's totally a great read. But but the funny thing is, I, I find is that because this is exactly what I was talking about, right? Where people would be like, you know, um, I don't want to be offensive saying this. People are like, you know, what are you jazz fag? You know, what are you? You know, <laughs> and the funny thing is, is that if you ever hear Daryl Jennifer, the bass player, the bass player, I mean, the guy, he knows all about that stuff, and uh, Doctor No, all those guys, and like, and they're tight as all hell. And they raised the bar and they made all of us play better. Mm. You know what I mean? So it's, it's, yeah, I mean, and, and that's cool that, because I mean, that, because, yeah, 
Well, that, that's the other thing is that uh, Frank Zappa said, uh, you know, be careful about the uniform people are wearing, right? And and there are certain, you know, there are always these fundamentalists, you know, and, and it's important to embrace a style, but like, but if I'm doing that to the exclusion of everything else, there's a problem. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I mean, there's, I totally hated the Grateful Dead for many, many years. <laughs> and, and the, but, but then my friend who I play with a bunch now, um, put out a, a recording of Dark Star that he did with uh, Chris Butler, the guy who wrote I Know What Boys Like and Square Pegs, and he had the band uh, Tin Huey and the Waitresses, and they did it with just the two of them playing. I'm like, wow, this is really good, you know? Yeah. So I still, I'm not the hugest fan of the dead, but the, but the point is, is that, like, just to be, it's important to have an open mind. Well, you know, and whatever, in the words of the bad, you know, the PMA, right? It's quoting uh, Napoleon Hill, right? It's, it's having a positive part of it's like having a positive attitude, but also having an open mind. That doesn't mean I have to love everything, right? Like for me, for me to hear now "Kill 'Em All" with the proper amount of bass, huh. it's listenable now. Yeah, you know what I mean, it's yeah. so hard for me to listen to Metallica without a bass player, which I know the people will hate me for saying, but like, but it's kind of amazing to hear all those tunes and it's just like, oh, that's what it's supposed to sound like. Yeah, right. It, it's that. That's an interesting, um, uh, polarizing topic in metal for sure. Uh, and what you were saying before about Dude, the, I mean, yeah, the the Grateful Dead. I just, I just real quick. It's funny what occurred to me. I I had I allegedly have an ex girlfriend who listened to a lot of Dave Matthews bands, and all I'll say is there's there's certain yeah. Dave Matthews band albums or or at least songs where I I wasn't mad to be listening to it. Man, he worked with some talented musicians. <laughs> You were, you were, you My asked, wife is going to hate me for saying this. Oh, I'm sorry. Am I stepping on you? No, go, go, go. Uh oh. Oh, okay. My wife will hate me for saying this, but uh, years ago, she said, "You know, I'm going to go to Billy Joel with my best friend." <laughs> you know, and she said, "You don't want to go, right?" And I was like, "I'll go." You know, because I was in seventh grade when The Stranger came out in Fifty Second Street, and you know, we liked it then, and we go there. And it is just like, it was Billy Joel with a cover band, mm, you know, mm, mm. it was not good. Well, it was, it was the whitest, it was the whitest shit I've ever heard. Well, the, the, <laughs> I mean, the audience was probably like all people from Long Island that came out to New York City too. I, the audience is probably pretty yeah, tough it, too, man. Oh my God. I mean, like I got so much hate from, but, but all the guys there would look like they worked in Best Buy. Yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I mean? with, with the with the chinos and the book, I piss a lot of people off when I start talking about Billy Joel. But like to me, it's it's just like there's something just so because those the records. I mean, I will say this, man. You know the uh, whatever the stranger, like the actual playing on with Liberty with the, with the actual band playing. They sound pretty good, you know what I mean. But like, I, you you don't have to you don't have to preach to me, man. Because I, dude, I'm from Long. I'm not only from Long Island. I'm from Huntington, which is like you know he's he's technically mm -hmm. from like my township. He's from, I think he's from Coldspring Harbor, which is part of Huntington. Okay. Okay. Dude, I grew up there with Billy go. Joel's music. It's one of those things. I got a couple of theories. I, first of all, I think that if he was from anywhere besides Long Island, people wouldn't have such a big issue with him because he's just like he's kind of like a, like yeah he kind of comes off like a very typical 
breed of Long Island blue collar good old boy that we do have out here. He's just like kind of like you know made it. You know, like uh-huh. like you know he could very easily be the janitor of our like your local high school who like gets drunk you know on the weekends and goes fishing and like talks about how he used to play piano if things went another way. But you're right. There's a lot of brilliant music there, and it's also I look at it too. He's kind of like the the old drunk boomer version of Kanye West. You don't necessarily want to know everything he thinks or like what he does, but he puts out some good albums, you know. All good, you know, and also write some new fucking stuff. How about that? But <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, yeah. Uh, well, a- anyway, man. Yeah, we. Uh, well, you know, yeah. No, I'm 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 not going to keep tearing you off. You know, the funny thing is, that I could have ended up being on Long Island a lot because. Back in 1990s, this is already 30 years ago, somehow or other I got, I got referred to this Grateful Dead cover band out there, the Zen Tricksters. I definitely 100% sense, right? remember the Zen Tricksters. I didn't see them, but I know that name was big on Long Island in the 90s. Oh, yeah. No, they, they, I mean, there's some very good musicians, but the funny, you know, I ended up meeting a drummer in that who ended up being, you know, who's, I mean, he's not like a, a dead end at all, but, but it's a funny thing. Um, but it was literally down to me and one other guy, you know. But that, but that's the thing. I just want to encourage not to be too preachy. But you know, it's just that people just open their you know their minds up. I mean, that, that that's and that's partially like why I also listen to your podcast because I, I like to be turned on to new music, you know. Like that's that's the thing, you know. A hundred. Well, that's that. It's a reciprocal uh, relationship, man. Because uh, you know, like I said, I get to to do all the research. Um, every week and uh, you know it, uh, on a good segue rate they're getting turned on to new music I talked about the Brilliant Coroners uh, album we talked about Dump Truck um, and we talked about of course Dark Ages Dark Ages available on Bandcamp and you have Tom Shad uh, dot bandcamp dot uh, dot for some of your more recent work that maybe isn't under the heavy metal spectrum and tomshad.com also so people could check all this stuff and more that we talked about um, tonight on those platforms and those websites. Uh, and before we close out, we're going to give you the opportunity to promote and talk about anything else you want for the listeners. But um, we're going we're gonna to transition now. I'm going to ask you to recommend one older and one newer album by any artist you like, uh, metal or otherwise. So I'm gonna I'm gonna try to go I'll go newer first and I'll go older because <clears throat> the newer one I I uh, I just stumbled on <clears throat> they're uh, from Houston Texas Malignant Altar. Oh yeah yeah they've been making a lot of noise kicking up a lot of dust the last few years in the death metal scene that's right. They have man you you, you guys see their you gotta see their Vitus gang they sound really good. Um, and then older. I'm just trying to think of something that wouldn't turn everybody off completely. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, you know what? Why not? Uh, Pink Moon by Nick Drake. Okay. I don't know if you know that record. It's, uh, you know, Nick Drake is so another he, artist. Yeah, I'm kind of like, you know, peripherally uh, aware of Nick Drake, but I, you know, I don't really know a lot of his work. Pink Moon. Pink Moon is it. And this is a guy with just worth saying that he. He was a guy who played sax who decided to play guitar um, because it was more portable. And he ended up writing music and all these alternate tunings and everything. And 
there are, there are only a handful of albums I can listen to over and over and over again, and Pink Moon is one of them. Hmm. It's just like it's it's one of those just like wow, like I don't even know what he's doing here, you know, because I know all the notes so to speak, but like there's something that that's one of the the real surprises, you know. Or well, maybe well, whatever. Maybe I should like do one or two others. Um, you know, yeah. Well, why not? As an album, I mean, it's a good listening assignment for everybody. You can find a version of it on YouTube easily enough. The Threnody for the Victims of Hiroshima. It's a piece for fifty-two strings. It is one of the sickest works of mankind. Um, it's the, what is the, the Serenity for the Victims? Of uh, Threnody. T H R. Uh, yeah, of Hiroshima. Yeah, T H R E N O D Y. Threnody. Threnody. For the Victims of Hiroshima. Um, and then let's see something else new. Let me just quickly look because uh, let's see here. Uh, maybe that's maybe that's it. Well, actually, it's it's not that old, but uh, there's this band called Pedro the Lion. I just heard an interview with this guy. And it's funny because I'm not into Christian rock or whatever, but like it's such an interesting sound. And the the lead singer David Bazan, he plays guitar, bass, and drums. And uh, it's an album called Control. Okay, pa- so, I've heard the name yeah. Pedro the Lion or seen it somewhere. Um, I, I guess it's a fairly established band. Yeah, I'm not too familiar. Yeah, yeah. all right, all right. So- yeah, yeah, they were, they were. What, what's kind of crazy? I'm, I'm sorry. I think our connection is really sucking. But the funny thing is, is that all he talks about is like Fugazi <laughs> <laughs> in this interview. <laughs> it's kind of, it's kind of great because he's like a Christian rocker, and you know. But but that's the thing. It's like it sort of proves the point. It's just like. You know, you, you can't be, you know, you can't make things into like, you know, into this tiny world, you know. Otherwise, you live in the world that you, that you create. Yeah, yeah, yeah 100%, 100%, man. Um, All right, man, cool. So, uh, and, and and Nick Drake I got to get into as well, man. I, maybe I'll start with that Pink Moon album. That's interesting. And Mal- Malignant Alter, yeah, man. I gotta, I'm curious what you think. I got to catch up with Malignant Alter a little bit. I definitely remember them making the come up the last few years, though. Um, so, uh, uh, like I said... Uh, Tom Shad, that's uh, T-O-M-S-H-A-D dot com is a great starting place if anyone's interested in reviewing some of the music um, credentials, uh, videos, and other such things that we talked about um, uh, in, in your past tonight. And uh, Dark Ages has uh, your own band camp. Um, you can look up Dark Ages. I believe it's Dark Ages NYC band camp, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yep. Yeah, uh, yeah be- we weren't first, so yeah. that's why <laughs> it happens. And um, uh, of course, that uh, if it's, I'm going to mispronounce it with my Long Island accent. Ozzy Mandias is the single um, that I was oh. uh, fortunate to collaborate with you on. If any of the listeners want to check that one out, Ozzy Mandias. Ozzy Mandias. Yeah, I pronounced it the um, the, the Long Island. The Shelley Pope. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh-huh. it's cool. But yeah. but yeah, that, that's all available for people to check out, man. And uh, Tom, I really appreciate your time, man. It's been great getting a little bit of your story Thank you on so the much show. For having me, Bill. Uh, of course, man. And um, just any uh, parting words for uh, fans of your uh, music and followers of our show. Uh, this might sound like a weird thing, but if anybody has any relatives or has any issues with heart stuff, that they're welcome to get in contact with me because it is a really scary thing. Yeah. And uh, if I can provide support, 
Oh, well, here's something that's it's, it's morbidly funny. Um, I am one of three bass players that I know who have had heart transplants. Huh. So, so you guys are killing us, you know? Wow. All right. So, so stop stressing out your bass so, players. Stop. Yeah. Stop with all the bass player jokes. Right. Exactly. And show up to rehearsal on time, please. Yeah. Oh man. Well. So. All, all seriousness, um, all kidding aside, in all seriousness, we're glad that you're uh, doing much better and that you had such a good medical team working you. with you and that sort of thing, man. It's 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 Thank nice you. of you to be uh, so you know generous with your time. If anyone else has any issues like that, and it's like my I pleasure. like I said, if anyone else, you know, on that note, if anyone, you know, I, I've had um, you know behind the scenes, I told you we, I've had a loss in my family. I have some o- older relatives, uh, you I'm know. Sorry. So of course, man, you know, we all we all go through this, and that's what I'm getting at. So if anyone else listens listening um is you know on on that note i found that lvad lvad youtube channel and your interview with him to be a great kind con- it took me out of my comfort zone a little bit because i thought i was going to be researching music and instead uh it was a very real conversation that i could relate to on some level about health so you know that is a, that is a good starting point man i appreciate that for our listeners I got you. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and and people. Yeah, people providing support for that stuff. Yeah, I think it's important for people to talk about. Yeah, I don't know. Well, it's 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 hard, right? Because people with with grief and everything else. You know, like, I mean, I lost my dad to COVID, and so it's just like during you know during all this stuff. So it's uh, I think it's important people that people talk. You know. Hundred percent, hundred percent, man. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, I, just like you said to me, my condolences to you, man. We all we all go through it. And I'm sure a lot of the Thank listeners you. are um, as well. So it's important, you know. With the podcast, I try to keep it light and keep it music, but I do, you know, I do try to remember and acknowledge that um, not only myself but all of our guests, such as yourself, and all of our listeners are, uh, you know, they're going through it in one way or another, man, out there. So you know, we do keep it real at some point, man. But um, but Tom, thank you very much for that, and of course for all your thank you. uh, your other uh, discussion and candor this evening, man. It was great. It's my pleasure. Tom Shad, thank you to that man for his time. That was a great interview. We appreciate that. Uh, glad he's doing well. Very interesting story. Um, thank you for joining us. And we, we, like I said, we encourage you to check out TomShad.com, uh, Dark Ages on Bandcamp, and Tom Shad himself on Bandcamp. Lots of music there. Um, y- you guys, uh, Justin, I was worried you were going to be a blue man. I worried we were going to find you washing up on the shore, man. Welcome back. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, I have nothing else to say. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I was concerned for you. We didn't know where you were. Yeah. Not- oh, boy. What a long story. Uh, <laughs> t- tune in next time. <laughs> yeah, that's for the Patreon people. <laughs> but uh, listen, while you were gone, I think we did get a voicemail. Yeah. Oh, oh heck yeah. Tom, Tom's over there, too. Yeah. Behind the scenes. Yo, heavy hole. This is Liam from Salem, Mass. Long-time listener, first-time caller. I wanted to pose a question, guys, on the topic of merch. Merch is obviously very important to the metal scene, but it's gotten crazier over the years. we got yes. labels doing 
wooden boxes for everything, wall flags, hot sauces, candles, flared BMX bikes. What I want to know is, have your merch consumption habits changed over the years? And at what point is it too far removed from the music? Or is it good for bands to push the envelope? What do you guys think? Also, my girlfriend usually listens to the podcast with me. She thinks all the band song names are grotesque and hilarious. Can you guys do me a solid and give a shout-out to Lauren? All right, I'm out. Liam and Lauren from Salem, Massachusetts. Thanks for thanks for getting in touch with with, with a very thought provoking, quite well worded uh, uh, voicemail. I like that. I yeah. like that. Um, Shout out to them. Glad you're here, mm-hmm. Justin, because you know more about the merch game than yeah. any of us. I think. Yes. Well, I've won a lot of money since I've been away, yeah. and <laughs> a good amount of that goes to just merch. You know, the category. He's asking if 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 uh, if bands or labels are going what? too far by 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 hot sauces. Yeah, what and is BMI's? pushing too far? There is not. You're never you're never pushing too far, in my opinion. Well, right. I I thought about that. I mean, there's things where I would say, um, you know, I'm not gonna buy that. I won't pay. I I'll just buy the regular yeah. CD or whatever. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but if there's a market for it, then it's like, what is like? If there's somebody out there with disposable income and they want to pay for the 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 um, kiss casket. Well, yeah, well, like for Nuclear War Now, the label, um, uh, they I don't know that they they still do this, but they always put out like a Die Hard edition that that costs significantly more because it's got a patch and this and that and it's yeah. got extras. I, I get it, you know. I mean, there are because there's people that buy it every time. I'm sure. So it's like I might not be willing to. You know, I have a budget myself for merch and things like that, but. I'm also in bands, so it's like the opposite of that is like if somebody wanted to make an afterbirth hot sauce or a reeking aura uh, rolling papers or something like that, I mean, we would think that that's cool to have our logo or our artwork on that, and there's people listening to our music who enjoy that. I mean, why, you know, and at the end of the day, the way the music industry is structured right now, people are not paying their bills off Spotify. That's for damn sure. And, you know, with the music industry, hopefully things are coming back where you are and, and you know, where we are. But, you know, people are looking to merch the last two years more than ever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, that I think that's a big explanation for it is that record sales aren't necessarily doing what they used to do for anybody. Even in the death metal scene where they didn't used to make a living for people, but they used to pad it out more. It's it's kind of over for record sales. You know, you have your physical merch sales and then you got to get into you got to get creative because once you also like these bands if you're touring a lot and working a lot once your core audience of people you know a year or two later after the album comes out most of them have bought the cd or the tape and most of them have bought the shirt or two that you printed up you got to get creative you want to have stuff on that merch some of these merch tables out there it looks like a flea market with everything these guys got their logo on Mm -hmm. and Again, it's like it's only maybe wrong if you end up with a box full of them at the end of the night because no one's buying them. Yeah, I think like taste and creativity is is everything when it comes to like what you're going to put your logo on or anything like that. Like, I don't think it's necessarily in good taste to go like to the end of the like to Vistaprint and add your logo to every possible like you know item that they that they huh. say. Mm. But you know, coming out with like thoughtful, creative sort of things because you know everybody's band has their logo on a black t-shirt like forever true and it kind of gets old after a while and if you're like if you're i don't know if if people are going to be shelling the money out choosing your band or or whatever to to buy you know as as like a a place where they're going to buy their merch put a little more thought behind it and then i don't care like what you put out i think that you know even i'm uh oh I, i was thought no i forgot it 
I forgot. Well, I, forgot I had one I thought about this uh, because I've seen this a lot. Really bothers me is the bundles. Mm. Like you go on these label websites or indiemerch.com, and it's like they're offering these bundles for I don't know any band doesn't matter, <clears throat> but it's like you know, oh, Thy Art Is Murder has a new bundle with everything that they just printed for a hundred and forty-five dollars. Like, are you going to go out of your way to look like a clown to dress <laughs> in all Thy Art Is Murder? Like, isn't the shirt enough, or maybe just picking and choosing? No. Do you need the CD and the vinyl and then? Uh, a single that's on a 45 like i don't understand the bundle thing i think that's a little well see but again i i get you because i don't i personally as a as a listener of, of music as a fan i don't buy the bundles i, I did kinda... once and i felt really stupid it's yeah. like a pie of pizza is maybe you go in with your friends and that's me you personally know? if you buy but bundles that's you you know there like, are people whatever. that buy the bundle every time of their favorite bands or there's like a lot of unique leader like unique leader people who just like really follow the label like yeah. like there are with willow tip and all these other labels mm-hmm. but I, I mean the thing there too is like i think it also comes down to the labels wouldn't be doing it if there weren't people buying it yeah. every time so that that goes into i think a whole different side of the merch scene that the three of us aren't so like i i think first of all it's usually the younger people we're a little more discriminating. Yeah, like there's 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 a lot of people who I gotta have every you know you'll see pictures on social media of the guy that's got a wall of fitted caps with death metal slam band logos on them, yeah. mm-hmm. and every T-shirt and every you know like this it's a collector's mm-hmm. thing. People got the huge wall of CDs and yeah. but. I think another thing is there's a huge resale market for all this shit too. So a lot of these people are buying the bundles and maybe not even opening everything. They're re- like they're reselling they're, they're hoping shit. For the resale. They're hoping for that shoe market, which they're, is like mm-hmm. it's not always there, but and there's death, a one in ten and, chance you can. Make and it. underground death metal uh, that's it's not bad if you keep the shit in good condition. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, and, and and the other thing too is like I was just gonna say. Like the the labels keep doing it, so obviously it's working. There's those people that are um, saving. I'd say the only difference between like the the sneaker market type of you know thing, or like the people buying the Xboxes and reselling them, and mm. underground death metal. Most of these people genuinely have some feeling of sympathy or affection for the bands and the artists. And underground death metal, most of these people who are snatching up the merch and reselling it. They also want to support the band, and on some level, mm-hmm. there's people that really care about buying it the week it comes out, yeah. and buying every format of it because, and they, and like they'll, like these are the people that are great because when my bands will play a show, when Afterbirth or when I've been in bands in the past will play a show, not every person, but you'll have those one or two people. A lot of times when you're out on the road in the middle of Arizona or the middle of Texas or wherever you go, there'll be one or two people, a guy and his wife, whoever, and they buy every piece of merch you got. And then you tell them, oh, that's, uh, you know, it comes to $45 and they'll hand you $60 and refuse to take change. And, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll offer to buy you guys beer because there's people that just are so sympathetic to underground bands mm-hmm. and they're in a point financially in their life where they can do that. So, like, that's also, that's a big side of the scene, too, that it's not necessarily like what the three of us are into. I'm not saying that we're cheapskates. But not everyone's folk. Like for there's there's some like like we're kind of artists. We're on the creative end of it. We follow the bands we follow. We do buy merch here and there. But there's people for whom it's like more. I think akin to following a sports team. You know what I'm saying? Like people who they got their day job, they got their family, and and it's all death metal. And I'm budgeting myself so I can support the team. I'm going to five shows this this month. Like I know people like that. And yeah. if you're in a band, it's hard to be that guy because most of your money's going into your band. Yeah. You know. So yeah. there, like the, the there's those. I'm not trying to 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 
to downplay <laughs> or downgrade those people at all. They're vital to the scene and they support my bands. And it's hard to be one of those people if you yourself are even in a band. Like the people who look at it like a yeah, sports fan. Yeah, it's a symbiotic kinda. relationship. Yeah. And like back to like the point of going too far, mm-hmm. like try it. It's your wallet. See, see what you could do. If you're in a band, like what's going too far for you? Yeah, I mean, if yeah, Jeff Bezos <laughs> likes Afterbirth and wants to give us a million dollars to play his backyard, I'm not going to be like, buddy, which, yeah. buddy, it's just death metal, you know, I, you know. I just think, like, I think merch is just another one of those, like, checklist things that you have to have in a band. It's like, mm-hmm. you, have, you have to have a drummer, apparently. You have to have, like, a, you, gotta, <laughs> you have to have, like, a practice space, you know, you gotta, you have to... Like, you know, do an intro track, you, got, you know, whatever. And then you have to check merch off the list. And I just say, like, yeah, like, try whatever you want. Do whatever it is. Shout out and love to all the people that supported, like, a sports team. Do good by them and just put some thought behind it. Yeah, put a do little, well. Put a le- yeah, just, just you know, put a little extra design on it. Do you need a sleeve print for sleeve print's sake? I don't know. Put a little thought behind it. And uh, and then everybody's happy. And then you have a nice shirt. I think that's a great point, Justin, because it's kind of like... I don't think it ever goes too far on the buyer's um, part because, yeah. like, unless they're overspending their budget, which is like a personal issue. Right. Like, you know, but like on the seller's part, you got a good point because there are people who are kind of like taking advantage of the market, maybe printing up cheap, shoddy merch. Uh, I heard recently of a guy who, you know, paid for a record from a label and it was shipped in like newspaper and it didn't come with the cover. It was all, you know, I mean like there's, so yeah, there's always those buyer beware situations, man. And with Mm -hmm. the merch, there's definitely some things like, like look at, look at what Kiss did. Kiss put their logo and their image on anything they possibly could and made millions with it. So it's like for a death metal band who's just kind of like, you know, working class guys with a family and they're, you know, they're just trying to not go in the red when they drive around their region for the weekend playing shows. If they want to sell uh, thongs and lighters and yeah. whatever with their logo, I'm not going to hate It's on your it. bottom mm-hmm. line. Like if you yeah. want to print on thongs, but like there's no, your audience doesn't call for thongs, well... Oh, yeah, read the room. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> you have to eat that expense at some point. Well, yeah, like, Lividity could definitely print thongs. I don't know that it would work the same way for, uh, well, I'm trying to think of a really ridiculous. Hmm. Who, who, who are the boys for? Who's who, the boys? Who would room? not, what band would, what band would be an inappropriate thong printer? Who do we not want to see a thong by? Like, like, Lividity seems like it's a pro... Typo Negative, of course, is good. Like, you know, like, yeah. the, the, the sexy bands, like... like I, I, I don't want... I don't... I I love Adam Rotella. He's a good friend of mine. Like, family. Mm. I do not want to see an anal birth thong. Yeah, while, I think the gore grind world is just like, kind of... Like, you can't fit it on I don't string. want to. It's like too medical. No, thank you, sir. Yeah, you can't yeah. fit anal birth on the logo on the little string in the back. And when are you going to put mm. it on the front? That doesn't make any sense. No, it's You'd not. have to s- scramble the string up, and then it would look like a yeah. gore grind. Oh, you gotta no. you got to do it a wrap-around kind of thing. <sighs> but, then you just start getting into underwear. What look, is this Slayer did BMX bikes that Liam's telling us about? I don't know, but we just ruined it for uh, Liam's girlfriend, too. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about the gore grind. Well, anyway, I think we I think we all gave our take on the merch question. That was very interesting. I, I appreciate that. What What is going on at the end, though? There was a, there was a bonus round about BMX bikes? Uh, no, he uh, mentioned that Slayer made some BMX bikes uh, mm. as one of their merch. And, like, I, it's not that far off. I know a lot huh. of bands who do skate decks. Yeah, yeah Slayer definitely seems like mm. that band that would be looking all over the X Games for where they could put their logo. Mm-hmm. 
Um, Which is fine with me. All over the X Games. Yeah. All over. Yeah. Dude, I, I, I've often <laughs> dreamed of my bands having skate decks. I do not skateboard. We've discussed that. I, yeah. Skate decks sure, look dude. cool, man. The they, physics doesn't work. It's I'm a great medium. Big. I'm mm. almost 40. It's not the time to start skateboarding. Yeah. It's, uh, a, it's a great. Uh, yeah. It's just great to look at. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't look at skateboarders. That would be really creepy, especially not wearing my not, Jake, not, not, not wearing my Jake right Fifty Eight outfit. That's incredible. It'd be even worse if you were holding a newspaper yeah. or something oh. like. Uh... Not metal. Uh, great uh, examples of, uh, or you know, metal adjacent. Great examples of doing merchandise right. I think the Deftones do merchandise very right, and I think mm. Glassjaw does merchandise at a very high level. Yes. Um, look into that, man. Yeah. Yeah. Look yeah. at other bands who are selling cool shit. Yeah. And don't skimp out. Like and and if you do skimp out, do it DIY. Do exactly like, like, yeah. like say that on my yeah. mouth, Tom. Skimp out all the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. skimp it, out with a purpose. Not yeah. don't Silk not on the street. shirt quality. Yeah. Do it with your the time and the effort. Yeah, go to a thrift shop, buy up blank shirts, and scream make a screen printer, uh, a silk screen, and print your own shirts on fucking random. Yeah, you I, know shirts from a thrift shop and make it interesting. You know? I got a lot of respect talking, for that because you're fucking killing. All of the fish in Southeast Asia oh. by making these goddamn Gildan shirts. You know well, what I mean? They're killing us. It's the- mutual destruction. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's bring it back. And to- I don't know if the if the bass over there migrate over here, but I'm hoping for a good fucking season of bass this year. And I really don't want you to mess this up. Justin, you've been killing the fish with these fish good handmade bucktail jigs made in Long Island, New York. Yes, fish good at fish good New York on Instagram, is it, sir? Uh, that's right. Yes, new sponsor of the show. Mm. Yeah. Which is good. Uh, we have to work out a deal, but I'm assuming it <laughs> yeah. will be we, favorable we just to both. I, I, I got free bucktails. <laughs> what do I get? That's the deal. You don't <laughs> fish. You get a free fishing lesson. Awesome. Com- coming soon, the exclusive heavy hole Uncle Bucktail from yeah. Fish Good. Awesome. Uh, why fish bad when you can fish good? Yeah, at Fish Good. Honestly. Great. All right. But we are also... Uh, <laughs> We're also Great. on all the little, little little things out there. Heavy Hole Podcast on the old Patreon for the bonus content. Uh, HeavyHolePodcast.com. We're on all the social medias. We're still not on ChristianMingle.com. I'm trying to get it to go through. Oh, I forgot yeah. my password. Shout to Judy at ChristianMingle.com. I forgot my password. We're working on Judy. it. But until then... Uh, Heavy Hole Podcast is on all the other social medias for your pleasure. And we're also, mm-hmm. just just for the listeners know, you can go to, it's Fireside FM, we're on Google Play, iTunes. I had somebody, yeah. you know, contact me the other day about something. Yeah, Fireside is the host service. So yeah. yes, you can find it there. But really, anywhere you listen to any other podcast, yeah. just search us. We yeah. pop right up. Except yeah. FM, right, unfortunately. Yeah. 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 Except what We bad. do play on FM radio. Gotcha. I just made that up. Gotcha. But you can't prove me wrong because you don't have enough ears or eyes. Yeah, we don't play on that one. Mm. Cut it out.